Hey, welcome back to another podcast. In this episode, I've got Dantix on board. Uh, if you are a fan of the upcoming Cyberpunk 2077 release, if you're a gamer at all, you've very likely heard this man. He's been dominating that market on YouTube. But this is the longest big podcast we've ever done. And I think for a good reason. We had a really good chat about a ton of different topics, had a nice casual conversation. And this is exactly where I would like to take the podcast into the future. So please, we would love some feedback. How are you enjoying this new style of content versus the old style? Are you enjoying this more conversation? based with some wider topics instead of just purely about esports and sales and gaming versus esports etc uh, etc et please let me know i'd love to do more content like this in the future i think we're finding good pace with this now as well uh this this episode as well is sponsored by streamkoi.com and i'll go into that a little bit with a quick ad read and a first ever real ad read into the podcast so once again thank you so much for supporting this podcast if you're watching this on youtube please leave a comment down below with your thoughts if you're listening to this on itunes or spotify or whatever you can please give it a rating we would also love to hear your thoughts on there thanks for listening all right we've done it dantix we're live welcome good to be here how are you man Doing well, doing really well, actually. I'm looking forward to having a chat today, talking a bit about big esports. So let's do it. Pumping out content like nothing else, huh? It's been a crazy few weeks and a crazy year, actually, for anyone. So, (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's true. So I guess um, the the first thing for you to do, because I know there's a bunch of your regular viewers that are going to be jumping into Twitch TV right now, and we've got um, plenty of people coming in to watch the LinkedIn Live, and then later on it'll be live on, um, or it'll be post on YouTube as well as audio only. But for you, the man himself, Dantix, can you just give a bit of an intro into yourself and what you do? Great. So I'm Dantix. Uh, I run a YouTube channel. We currently have about 175,000 subscribers and I focus mostly on RPG content in that uh, I post news, reviews, guides, that sort of thing for games that fall under the RPG umbrella. Um, We've been doing fairly well. Uh, There's quite a lot of work coming up as uh, Cyberpunk and Assassin's Creed Valhalla and a lot of these these big titles have been dropping. So uh, right now it's mostly making uh, video content. I haven't been live streaming for quite some time, but I will be kicking that back up into gear probably around mid-December and leading into January and February as well. So that's mostly what I do. Fantastic. We've got a ton to talk about today, but the first thing I want to do is, I guess, my first ever live ad read. So we'll see how this one goes. But for for anyone who follows me on LinkedIn, you probably noticed that we started doing some advertising recently. But for us, that's uh, it's it's been a little bit different to what most YouTubers will do and, and what Dantix and I will talk about in the future and what Fusion and Droid and I talked about last week, where our advertising on LinkedIn is primarily content-based. So generally, we don't take an advertiser like anyone um, that we don't think meshes well with our audience. But also besides this you know basic 30 second ad read we've been creating informative content so the first carousel that we did for Topalti, which is a payment processing platform is actually our best performing is our best performing one of all time so it's got something like 245 plus engagements tens of thousands of reach and a lot of comments on there from people saying hey i know this is an ad but I actually enjoyed it so hopefully this isn't too disruptive i guess we haven't done really any ad reads in the podcast in the past, but I thought these guys were an interesting one to bring on board because I have a bit of personal resonance with them. So here we go. 
So have you ever managed or worked with multiple streamers? There's tons of great influencers out there. They can have a genuine connection with their community and their audience grows day by day. But there is absolutely no wonder that they're becoming part of marketing strategies as a whole for several brands and agencies, not just in gaming, but in non-endemic as well. However, it's extremely time consuming to manage all of those streamers. It requires you interacting with each streamer to guarantee campaigns run smoothly and successfully. I know myself in the past, it's been a mixture of a lot of Google Sheets, Excel, a lot of Twitter DMs, Instagram DMs and emails back and forward and text messages when things get desperate sometimes. So who we're sponsored by today is Stream Koi. So that's Stream C-O-I. Um, what they've done is they have an intuitive dashboard and a tool that allows you to manage multiple streamers, display content and run interactive campaigns on their streaming channels. Uh, you can make sure to reach the proper potential of your campaigns by heading to streamkoi.com, that's streamcoi.com and get a four month trial period for free. There's a bunch more content coming out on across my LinkedIn and YouTube platforms as well talking about this. I'll be talking a little bit about why I think that is important and why I actually want to start using Streamgoy. So hopefully they hook me up with that four-month trial as well. Enjoy. So Dantix, I guess the, the first question to ask you, man, is uh, you're sitting on a thermal tech chair. Was that was that sponsored or did, or did you buy that one? Uh, I actually bought this one, surprisingly. They reached, <laughs> they reached out not long ago actually to... Um, send me some stuff, but no, I actually bought this. And this is um, an artifact of an era where they, I didn't get paid for anything. So I'd yeah. like to keep this one around just to remind me. <laughs> just to remind you of the pain and the struggle. Of buying <laughs> remind me of the struggle where I came from, you know, having to pay for peripherals. Well, I, had a, I had a question for you then, because I was, I was lucky enough to be sponsored with this gaming chair from, from PLE's Battle Bull. But how do you, how do you pick a gaming chair to buy? There's like, 200 brands out there, it feels like. Realistically, there's probably like 12 brands in Australia alone. Yeah, realistically, um, it's just a matter of what we get access to in Australia. Um, I just yeah. shopped around. I just I went from store to store. I just sat in and used every chair, so to speak. And this was the one that I felt was most comfortable, but still provided me with some support. This is not a, an ad for thermal tech chairs, <laughs> by the way. But no, this one just... Uh, it, I mean, I've had this for years now. I've had this for a good three years and it's just been the one that's just kept my back the most secure, which I think is very important when you're sitting at your computer for you know eight plus hours. So, Yeah, it's probably a good thing that you said that it's not an ad because otherwise this podcast could just be a chain of, of an ad, <laughs> my ad to your ad to my ad and back and forth the whole time, right? <laughs> Yeah, exactly right. Like, what chair are you sitting on there? I can't even tell. Yeah, this is a PLE Battleable chair. So it's like P- PLE is a PC retailer. They're, they're based over in Perth as well as Melbourne, but they ended up creating yeah. their own product. They, they do really well out of it. We do a lot of work with PLE with with Bajo Pants and, a, and um, some other esports initiatives and stuff in the past. You you happen to know that I actually built my PC with PLE. Hey, there you go. There yeah. you go. I need my discount code Mayo at the checkout there. <laughs> Go straight, in, straight into another ad. But yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty nuts. It's a pretty saturated market, right? As far as gaming chairs go. Yeah, it's completely like it's hugely saturated. I know that um, there's specific Cyberpunk Secret Lab chairs out right now. Um, I don't want to shit all over them, but I haven't been the biggest fan of Secret Lab so far with what their products are. I, I like their fabric-based products, but yep. their leather chairs. I don't know. It's just wasn't what I was expecting. Maybe my body shape's a little bit different, but. And it's like a gaming chair and especially at the cost of the price of what they are to the consumer is not something I ever would have thought existed like 10 years ago. 
really mm. right. Like if you were to tell me that people are going to be dropping, you know, 199 US, you know, 250 Aussie plus on chairs, I would have said no way. Like I, I sat on a kitchen chair throughout most of my competitive career, basically all. And then <laughs> and then throughout my semi-pro CSGO career, I sat on a $40 office chair I bought secondhand off a guy mm. that I used to go to land parties with. I had a secondhand office works office chair and it was, yeah. it didn't even have like, guardrails you know these side um armrests yep. it didn't even have those so like i was slipping off at half the time when i was like shouting at my screen i was playing red alert 2 back in the day oh, yeah. pretty competitively um i think i got almost a second in the world at that stage jeez um, competitive yeah. Red alert 2. yeah it was God it was it. it was not it was not super easy back then especially with yeah. the internet we have here yeah, that's true. That's a nuts throwback. Mm. I have to say Red Alert 2 is, my, is probably my second favorite game of all time. I have a wow, good story really? from that. So when I was a kid, uh, my dad built me, I think it was a it was a Pentium 133 megahertz overclocked to 166. And um, because we didn't really have much money, he did some volunteering in, in Tasmania. They have these things called online access centers that are funded by the government. And they're essentially free internet cafes to be able to get local residents the ability to like learn how to use computers. Because, you know, mm. Tasmania is pretty low socioeconomic and for those people overseas who don't know, Tasmania is like a little island on the bottom of Australia. And often if you see maps um, that aren't, you know, like legitimate, it's not even there. That, that's how small it is a lot of the time. It but, looks like a mini um, Australia, basically. If you think Australia is just an island on its own, Tasmania is like a mini version. Just yeah, yeah, it's tiny. So he was able to kind of Frankenstein a PC together for me as part of that. So we used to have this tiny, you know, those little beige cases back in, you know, the late, we're talking like probably 98 or something like that. And it was it was so stacked full of small size hard drives that they were like double sided duct tape to the inside of the case because you couldn't fit any more in there. And sometimes the the cables for the hard drives would get stuck in the CPU fan because there's just zero breathing room in there. But I used to play Red Alert 2 in Year's Revenge that my dad downloaded on dial-up, which took like three days nonstop of waking up every four hours to, to rejig the dial-up connection. But because the games were so big and my hard drives were so small, I was able to have three save games as a whole for Red Alert 2 <laughs> because it would literally like the one kilobyte save file would just push me over the edge and I couldn't have any more than that. It's crazy how far we've come since then, right? Like you'd have yeah. like a little floppy disk with almost the same data as you would have as a, as a normal non HD photo on your phone. Now it's yeah. nuts. And it's not, it's not even a consideration anymore. Right? Like I don't, I don't remember the last time I thought about hard drive space or even like, um, you know, download limits on internet on my phone. I remember like playing battlefield two with some guys in, um, in Ireland back in like 2000 and, you know, eight or nine or something like that and telling him like, oh, I'm about to get capped. Like my downloads run out. And they were like, what is that? They're like, we haven't had that here like ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we've had it pretty rough in Australia, I have to say. We've got some of the slowest internet for a, th- for a first world ever, right? Yeah. Isn't it we the do. slowest? Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's some third world countries that are ranked like, what do they say, like average internet speed available to every user or something like that. Yeah, we're, we were something like 60th. Someone has to fact check me on that, I'm sure. But we were pretty damn low. <laughs> pretty yeah, damn we, low were, we were right at the bottom there. But, you know, we make do. I've got the fastest internet that I can possibly get. And I tell that to anyone in my Discord that's American. They're like, well, what? <laughs> we don't even have to pay for those speeds. <laughs> it's like a quarter of their speed. Well, that's like Google Fiber, right? Like if you live in the right place, you just, what is it? You just have to buy a modem and you get free internet. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that's nuts. That's nuts. So like unpacking one of the first things you said, which is like the the chair that you're sitting on is a homage to when you couldn't get sponsorship. So this is a question I get asked uh, a lot, especially when I was at Corsair, but, but even a lot now from, from lots of small up and coming streams and YouTubers is, is there a minimum size to get a sponsorship? 
and and for I guess the question really for you is mm. like when did you start to see sponsors either knocking at your door or when you knocked at their door they didn't just slam it in your face. So this is this is a like a multi pronged question. So I'll give you a bit of a multi pronged answer. Firstly, yep. when they started knocking on my door was around hundred k. So as soon as I reached the the hundred k subscriber mark, that's when I started actively getting noticed by sponsors. Um, prior to that, uh, I'd be noticed by developers, but that would only be because I was covering their particular game. And even then, because I had no kind of business savvy in terms of how much I should be asking for or what I should be asking for, a lot of the time if they threw a, a free trip somewhere and the opportunity of having a review key, that was more than enough for me to say, yeah, look, um, throw that my way. I'll take a look at your game. I would never, I would never say, no, I'm, I'm going to do a review. Or I'm going to do this or that. Cause that's just too much commitment. And if I didn't like the game, I don't typically like to cover it too much. Um, but that would be enough for me to say, yeah, let's do it. Whereas now, if it's a game that I'm not in, like covering right now, I'll typically say, look, I'll, I'll gladly put up a guide or something, but I'm going to need to um, have a certain monetary value associated with that for my time. Hmm. Then in terms of when I could actively approach sponsors, I found it was around the 50K mark for me when I could actively approach someone and say, look, I have about this many subscribers. This is the views I was getting. Uh, why don't you take a look at working something out? Now, as of right now, I find that sponsors typically respond better to subscribers and actual views because there was a case where I was you know, below 30,000 subscribers, even below 20 and I was getting hundred K views on some of my videos and I would go to them and say, look, I've got hundred K on these videos. These are the kinds of, these are the kinds of views you can get. This is a kind of reach. This is a kind of demographic. This is a kind of geographic. I'd plot it all out because I used to be in marketing. Mm. So I knew exactly how to do it, but they would come back to me and say, well, how many subscribers have you have? Do you have? I'd say, well, does that really matter if I'm reaching all these people? And yeah, it, yeah, it does. I don't know why, but it still it still does. It still matters. So it was around the 50K mark that I found that I started getting taken a bit more seriously. Um, mm. But when it comes to when I started actually accepting sponsorships and ad roles in my videos, uh, that's really only happened this year. Even last year when I was still at 100K, over 100K, I didn't really want to take on that responsibility. There's a bit of responsibility that comes with sponsorships. Uh, usually you have to work out a particular deal. You have to say, look, I've got, uh, I've got this many views. How much do you want? How much is it going to cost you? How much is it going to cost me? Whatever. Um, and then you kind of negotiate and then you set like a plan. So in, in my case, because I would have, you know, 100K, I wouldn't have that many views comparatively to the guys up in the millions. They would expect a bit more from me. They'd expect a few social posts. They'll expect a few videos. And that's a lot of work. There's a lot of work that goes into actually creating ad roles, putting it in a video that actually makes sense. And there's a lot of work in actually liking and using the product. If it's not a product I don't like, I would just never talk about it. It's just, it's just not going to happen. So usually we're like the last um, ad that I did was for Opera GX. It's a web browser and I'm actually using it now. Like I was using it legitimately before I reached out to them for a sponsorship. I thought no one really knows about this. So I, I reached out and we worked out a deal. Um, they said, yep, 
do one ad roll, we'll see how it goes and we'll pay for your time. And that's how, how it went down. But with uh, sponsorships prior to last year, I, I really just didn't want that responsibility. I just wanted to, I just want that growth. So there's almost like a, you have to weigh up what you want out of your channel or what you want out of content creation. If you want growth, maybe you have to consider taking a little bit less money from it, you know, putting less ads in your videos, taking less sponsorships, because ultimately uh, people get turned off as, as much as, as much as we want to make money off our content, people get turned off if you're making content and making money at mm. the same time. It's just, it just comes with it. So um, I focus primarily on growth and getting high views and making my content and focusing on that. And it's only been this year where I've kind of hit that threshold where I'm getting a lot of growth without needing to invest as much time. So I can put a little bit more time into sponsorships. So it's finally paying off after, after three years. So it's funny. You mentioned like what, sorry, just a question first. You can't hear my fan. Can you in my microphone? Is it okay? No, I can't hear. All good. No, fantastic. That's good. I think we're in the same state, right? It's pretty hot here today. It's like 31 degrees Celsius today, which is like what? 85 Fahrenheit or something like that. Yeah, no, it's pretty hot, but I had the aircon going all night. So it's thankfully it's still pretty cool in here. Lucky, with lucky it, with, man. Yeah. With the, if I close that door now, it might be echoing a little bit because the door's open, but if I close it, um, it's going to get super hot in here. Sweat so. city. Yeah, yeah. So, so what I was saying is, yeah, it's, it's interesting to see like what, what should the what what should the investor or what should the sponsor care about? And like you said, for better or for worse, often they do care about the subscriber amounts. And maybe it's just because it's the really public number that everyone can see very easily. And maybe it's just something that somebody understands that when you hit hundred thousand subscribers, like that's probably when you know. I would, I would say that when you hit a hundred thousand subscribers, you've probably got real fans. You've probably mm. got at least a core of you know. 500 to 2000 people in there that really like you probably as a person and will follow anything you do, no matter what you do from then on. But mm -hmm. you know, really it is about views. So if you're, if you've got a, a channel that's got 30,000 subscribers and you're getting a hundred thousand views per video, I mean, that's an amazing subscriber to view ratio. Right. And we've all seen so many streamers that will have 800,000 plus subscribers and they'll be getting 10,000 views per video. Like it mm -hmm. definitely does happen. And you can see they do have opportunities afforded to them because of the size they are. And part of it is maybe they're used to earning that much money. But you see that quite a lot. And I see that quite a lot on Twitter these days as well. People with 200,000 plus followers on Twitter who might have been big a while ago or played in large esports tournaments previously. Now they get like 20 likes per tweet. I, I yeah. paid for one of them once as well, actually. So I'm, I'm also, you know, subject to this. It was, it was a guy that, you know, we paid to do a tweet and, you know, you got like five engagements and you had like 200,000 followers. Because obviously, yeah. like you were saying too, you don't want to do too much frequency of ads and if it's not just an ad role or part of what the content you're doing if it's purely the whole video is just an ad your views will often bomb for that one too as well right yeah exactly right it's it's, it's also based on what particular content you're putting out as well if you look at ign for example how many millions of subscribers have they got i can't even remember it's in the millions but if they post something that's not popular they'll get you know ten thousand views for that video and the ratio is just completely off. But then if they post something that is popular, maybe they get a couple hundred thousand, but it's never at the level of, let's say, you know, your PewDiePies or like your dreams or whatever. It's never at those levels, even though they have this huge subscriber count because they put out such varied content, even though it does fit under the, the gaming umbrella, there's just so much variance to it that the algorithm that currently sits within YouTube uh, it just it just doesn't know what to do with it. it doesn't know exactly how to classify it. Mm. 
it's hard too because you don't always you don't always know what's going to be the biggest hit, right? Like I've yeah. I think I've had three posts go viral on LinkedIn because it's obviously my content creation platform as a whole, and all three of them I didn't think they were great posts. <laughs> So sometimes, <laughs> you know, I mean, they were my posts, yeah. I made them, but I was like, I was like, okay, really? okay. No, I really. like, you know, yeah. some people might enjoy that. And then I woke up in the morning. I was like, holy shit. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> people, that, this was, is the that was like a wake up moment for me. It's happened on YouTube so many times, but the first time it ever happened, I was a, I was a very low subscriber count, um, fairly low views. You know, I was just starting out. I was pretty fledgling. Um, and I invested a good two weeks solid on this one video. And when I say two weeks solid, I don't mean your nine to five, two weeks. I mean, content creator two weeks, which is like, you know, your 80 plus hour weeks on it, right? Yeah, geez. Solid plus working another job plus, you know, your life stuff, girlfriend, all that stuff. Right. Um, so I was just at the end of that two weeks, I was just mentally and physically exhausted. And I posted that and it did just terribly. And the next day, the next day I made like a three hour video and that got, I, I think it was like a roughly 10 or 11 times the engagement. Jeez. Can I ask I know, what that just, video was that you put all that time into? Oh, you too embarrassed? I, I'm not sure if it's still up there, but it was um, a shadow of Mordor or shadow of war video. And it was about, yeah, okay. it was like a news video leading up to the actual game, but there was no like skill tree that was currently available um, publicly at least. So what I did was I went through all the footage that was available, every single individual attack and animation and everything. And I put them all together and I made my own skill tree, like animated skill tree for it. Wow. Um, yeah. In the video. And that just, yeah, that was just absolutely nuts. And then I made a news video later on, like right after that. And that did like so much better. <laughs> <laughs> you just never know. Right. And I guess that goes to show that, you know, not everything that you know, and I'm sure you did that too because you really like that content. But it's like oh, yeah. not always the content that you like the most are the ones that, that will get the best viewership. You gotta you gotta go with what the audience likes. Exactly right. And then there's there's always a balance. So people wanting to enter content creation, you've got to ask yourself, are you doing this just to get views or are you doing this because you enjoy it? There's there's a big case for you know, jumping into Fortnite or Minecraft because it's quite literally where the money is. Um, it taps into an audience that, or a younger audience that gets a huge CPM. For those that don't know, CPMs cost per million. It basically is the metric that we use to determine how much money we get per thousand views on a video. Mm. The, that particular metric is super high for younger audiences because advertisers know that a sale will occur more often with someone that's more impressionable as sad as that sounds. But if they show a six year old, a toy during a video of someone they absolutely love, like dream, for example, uh, well, they're probably going to sell that toy. It's just how it's going to happen. Whereas in my videos with like a 25 to 32 average audience, um, people don't really care as much for the ads. So they, they have a lower mm. CPM. So, when you cover games like Minecraft or Fortnite, if you get, you know, a hundred thousand views on a video like that, you're going to make a lot more money than getting a hundred thousand views on the video that I make, for example. So you got to ask yourself, do you want to go for the money or do you want to go for content that you actually enjoy? Um, and that's, that's a, that's a big thing. I think content creators fall over in because I see them make content specifically for say Minecraft, but they don't seem like they enjoy it. And then they just kind of get lost in this ocean of content creators and just never standing out from them. So the ones that are at the mm -hmm. top do it because one, they're good at it. Two, they like it. 
and three, they got, they got kind of lucky. Like a lot, like a lot of us, there is a lot of luck involved hitting that Mm. right sweet spot, right timing, the right algorithm. And then it's just a snowball effect from there. You know, some of the way I see that is, is a lot of people will ask me, you know, Chris, what platform should I stream on when I'm starting? Do I go to Twitch? Do I go to Facebook gaming? Um, you know, back in the day, do I go to Mixer? And it was a really good, um, there was a really good uh, article that came out that, that actually performed quite well as a piece of content for us. It talked about the amount of streamers versus the amount of hours watched on those platforms. So if you go to somewhere like Twitch, you know, you've got a very small probability of standing out because like you said, it's just, there's just so many people. It's such a saturated market in there. But because there are so many eyeballs, if you do hit the big time, your ceiling is much, much higher than it was on Mixer than it is right now on Facebook gaming. But looking at the numbers of how many people streamed versus eyeballs watched, I think I think Facebook was something like 2% of total streamers and 11% of total viewership. So just given that alone, you know, that would say like, okay, Facebook's maybe a good platform. And if you can use that same way of thinking into what you create content with, it's like, do I want to be, you know, Fortnite streamer number 457,000? Or, you know, do I want to go and try to lead the market in cyberpunk like you're doing or retro games or doing something different, you know, some sort of comedy routine? I don't know. Yeah. So when I started, I started with a game called Shadow of Mordor. And I, I started because I actually really enjoyed the game and I didn't see anyone making content on it. Uh, so I thought, okay, well, I needed to kind of go into this uh, researching it for myself because there's no videos on it. Might as well post a video on it. And that's mm-hmm. kind of how I got started. And because I was relatively small, it I didn't get drowned out by the bigger guys kind of covering it. I think there was another game at the time that was kind of getting bigger. So the bigger channels like IGN were kind of covering those games and kind of leaving that by the wayside. So I got a bit more exposure doing it that way. So you're exactly right in that. Do you want to be a drop in the ocean or do you want to be a big fish in a small pond kind of, kind of thing? And when it comes to, when it comes to content creation, it's, you kind of, you kind of need to know, when to pick your battles it's if you want to be seen you can't just keep banging your head against the wall a lot of people come to me and say you know how do you make a thumbnail how do you you know make content how do you know when to make content what content do you make and i and a lot of the time i just feel like just grabbing him and saying if you need to ask me this you're never going to make it you need to you need to figure this shit out on your own you need to figure out what works for you you need to figure out exactly uh how to tap into the market for your particular way. Cause it's going to be different for everyone. For me, you know, I'm good at doing particular things. Someone else might be good at something else. Um, mm. So you need to find what you're good at. And that's, that can be very difficult for some people. And, and I hate to say it. Some people just won't be good at anything. It's just, that's just the way of life. I hate to be that guy. It's like, I, but I don't want to, I don't want to also be the guy that says, you know, everyone can do this because you most definitely, everyone most definitely can't. It's just, mm. there's just too many people in this market right now. And even getting to the position I am with, with cyberpunk, that that's not simply just making videos. I spent nearly a year positioning myself to get to where I am now. So that was a year of creating content for it and getting no views. That was a year of, you know, pounding those hashtags out, building an audience, getting into the community. That was a year of doing research. That was a year of perfecting thumbnails, perfecting titles, perfecting exactly what I needed to say, researching. I've read books on cyberpunk. I played the 
the RPG, the tabletop, you know, it's, there's a lot of work that goes into it. And it's, it's not just simply a matter of just, oh, I'll, I'll put a video out and I hope that that will do well. It's you put it out, you look at why it's not doing well. You, you analyze it, you, you dive into it. You go, okay, well, the bounce rate's at two minutes. What happened at two minutes? Weren't they interested there? Should I reposition where I put my content? So I might put something more interesting up front and then end with something less interesting. Or I might do vice versa. If I do have a good retention rate, maybe I put the more interesting stuff at the end just to get people to watch through further. So there's a, there's a lot that goes into it. And it's not a matter of just um, what content it is. It's not just a matter of, oh, it's Fortnite, Minecraft or Cyberpunk or something smaller. It's also a matter of how much you put into that yourself. And that goes back to what I was saying before in that if you don't love doing it, you're probably, it's probably going to show. <laughs> it's probably going to show in your content. Mm. And I, I've been trying to find the right way to explain it, but I think part of it is like just picking what you're good at and staying in that lane. So if you think about like, I feel like I have a natural way or, or a knack to the way that I can translate content to LinkedIn on a platform. I can easily explain across information and condense it into a few dot points. I can easily explain the gaming language and translate that to corporate language. And I'm good at that, but I'm terrible at graphics. I don't have an artistic bone in my body at all. And I don't know, like most of this setup in the background that was done by Bax is my right hand man, you know, picking what the lighting was on the side that was done by him. You know, the, the intro video for this, he did that. Cause I've got no idea. Quite <laughs> often when we make a pitch together, I will do it in like PowerPoint slash paint. And then he'll make the pitch look good after that. I mean, the big esports yeah. website, I designed that in, in literally in paint. <laughs> and um, <laughs> one of our previous employees made that for us, but I find that I have that communication aspect. So it's mm. kind of like what you're saying is that not everyone, not everyone can do this because they just don't have the skills unless they, you know, unless they force themselves, you know, with, with yeah. some crazy amount of willpower, they're going to burn out and, and stop pretty soon. Yeah, exactly. And, and you do raise a good point. Like, there is a, a multitude of skills you need in this industry. Um, and you just describe basically what every marketing manager does is just like drop point down, like what generally they want and they send it off to their designers or their, their illustrators or whatever. It's like, um, that's yeah. what I used to do in marketing. Um, but then, you know, once I took up uh, this content creator role, I kind of self-taught myself a lot of things. I didn't know anything about Premiere. I just jumped into Premiere. I played around, you know, that's an ongoing learning experience. Like I don't have any editors. All of my videos are done by me, you know, all the recording, all the animating, um, all the editing, you know, even the thumbnail creation, all the th social media posts, all the scheduling, all that stuff is just, I do all of that. And that's all self-taught. And that's just what you're going to need to do if you want to fit in this role. You can't just be like, okay, well, all I'm good at is playing this game, well, I'm going to, as playing Fortnite, I'm just going to record myself playing Fortnite and I'm just going to upload it on YouTube. That's all I'm going to do. Nah, you, it's not going to get you anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. That's really true. There's so much science goes into it. I was talking yesterday to, um, to some boys who are, you know, they're going full time with the content that, they, that they're currently making. So they're asking me some tips about YouTube and Twitch and things like that. And I was like, guys, do you know that like there are full time thumbnail editors? that exist. Like there's a whole mm. science that just goes into creating the thumbnail. <laughs> but we had a yep. good joke. It was like, you know, that Rick and Morty one where there's that robot that only passes the butter. 
Like if your full time yeah. job is, is to purely yeah. just create thumbnails of people with shocked faces. Oh my god! Like, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> when I think when I think about that being a full time job, I'm just like, wow, really? That's w- what I do before while the video is uploading on YouTube. Like while I'm like I've clicked and dragged it to YouTube while it's uploading and processing, I'm making the thumbnail. Like yeah. <laughs> so, it's like such a small part of what it is. That just yeah. my whole day thumbnails, like, oh man, I'd kill myself. I'm sorry. <laughs> Not saying <laughs> it's that it's so a bad special. job, but I'm just so used to so much stuff now that my, my mind is like goop. I just need to yeah. be entertained by so many different things. Yeah. Well, if, and if you're good at it, you know, you're good at it. And I guess a lot of, a lot of the other stuff he was saying too, is it's just like running a startup. You've got to do everything. You know, if you're running a startup, you're HR, you're the finance officer, you're the CEO, you're the marketing, you kind of everything. And you're saying it's the same thing for you. Not only are you the talent, you're the host, you're also the producer because you've got to set up all the cameras and equipment. You're the AV technician. Um, you're also the editor in the background and you're also doing mixing and mastering with the sound levels and everything yourself. And then you're publishing it and you're the marketer at the same time as well. And, yep. and then I guess you're, and sales as well on top of that. Yeah, exactly right. And there's going to be, with everyone, there's going to be areas that you're just not good at. That's just going to happen. Like with me, I'm just not good at sales. I'm not good at, you know, that side of things, the the business aspect. I just don't like talking numbers. I just, I don't want to be that sitting behind a desk responding to emails with kind regards every single day. Like just, I'm so used to that. I've done 10 years of that in corporate and it's just like, I want to be away from that. So I try to make it as casual as possible when I am talking to business prospects, but um, I'm just not good at that stuff. You know, and when it comes to editing as well, I'm just not super good at editing. I'm, I've self taught myself a lot of things, but when it comes down to, you know, the nitty gritty, you know, exactly what you can do with particular transitions or animations and stuff, you know, I'm just not that good with it. You know, I never will be because I don't invest that much of my time into it. Um, so there's definitely holes that you can feel once you get to a certain size. Like right now I'm looking at perhaps getting an editor in. It's just, it's just a matter of time. And I'm finding a lot of the time that it's just easier for me to just do it myself rather than to, to package up the video content, the script, everything up and then sending it off to an editor, getting him done, getting that done over there and then receiving it back, uploading it and, you know, writing the description, all that stuff ends up taking much more time than if I just did it myself. And in a lot of cases, depending on what content you have, time can be very of the essence. Uh, I've gotten quite a few videos up before anyone else in the world. And that definitely gives me an edge, right? So that's, that's pretty true. And that's, that's pretty true across most platforms, right? Like if you, yeah. like someone I get a lot of esports news from, two people, Slasher and Jake Sucky or Jake Lucky, um, his, his ad handle is Jake Sucky, but, you know, they will always have content up before anyone else. So I know that sometimes I'll check my Twitter in the morning and that's what I'll post on LinkedIn is, is based off, you know, the seed will come from them and then I'll go and research and do my own. But then I find usually I'm the first on LinkedIn as part of that too. And you do have that first movers advantage for sure. One of the other things I want to ask you as well is, are, are there ways that you've found that you've been able to um, make advantage of your different type of audience? You know, we talked about before that, that often, you know, a younger child audience has a better CPM and older audience doesn't as much. So like one of the ways is, is one of the guys that we work with, he's got a 25 plus audience and the advantage for him is he's able to sell much higher quality and much higher dollar value products. So, you know, we've done some partnerships with this guy and he's able to sell, you know, two and a half thousand dollar gaming PCs. Where in the past I've worked with Overwatch streamers and Fortnite streamers and uh, Minecraft content creators when I was at Corsair. And at best I'd sell one PC 
you know, per campaign. And this guy sold mm. about 45 grand in six months worth of, you know, two and a half, three and a half thousand dollar PCs. Wow. Yeah, no, it, it definitely, once again, depends on the content. Like if you're a content creator that specifically tailors to uh, reviewing peripherals, for example, if Corsair comes to you and says, yeah, you, you know, market our content, you're going to probably sell their content, right? Because even though, even though you might only have like a 50,000 subscriber base, you've got a very niche market. So how niche your market is definitely plays a part. But the age, like you were saying, you know, your your demographic of, of custom base plays a huge part. Uh, I'm finding that, uh, especially with, I did, um, I did promote a bit of uh, recently Galaxy's uh, new 300 range, right? Mm. Uh, 30 range, sorry. And uh, they sent me a 3080. I talked a bit about it on stream. And later, a few um, few fans in Discord said, yeah, I went in their head and bought, you know, a 3070 or 3080 from them. And so uh, at least I at least sold three or four of them as far as I can mm. tell. Definitely more than that based on who's not going to tell me. Uh, and they're not, you know, they're not cheap. That's a couple of grand worth of, of graphics cards for what yep. would have cost them less than that. So... That wouldn't, I don't think that would have happened if I was tailoring towards a market that primarily played free games like Fortnite, for example. Uh, When when you're dealing with someone that relies on their parents for their primary means of income, uh, you're generally not going to get a good response unless it's a toy, unless it's something that can be bought for Christmas or for their birthday or something generally low. of low monetary value. If it's something like a graphics card, there's, yeah, it's definitely, you definitely need to go for the over 25 audience. So like you said, yes, there is a difference. um, And that difference comes with sponsorships, but there is another difference. Older audiences, uh, they tend not to be as loyal. I know that sounds pretty bad, but I find with younger audiences, they tend to see you as more of a celebrity and they tend to, latch onto you, be really into your content and probably just watch whatever you make just because you make it. Whereas an older audience is more discerning. If they're into say cyberpunk, they'll, they might subscribe and might watch me for a bit, but you know, if I start making content they don't like, they're going to, they're going to click off faster than they clicked on. Um, generally speaking, obviously they've got quite a few loyal, loyal fans that, are, that, you know, I owe everything to, but generally speaking, that's, how they are, but also they tend to appreciate effort. They tend to appreciate the effort you put into something and they notice it and they reward it a lot of the time. So if you're on stream and you've given them consistently good content, they're more willing to help you out. They might send you, you know, they might send you some donations or they might just send you some kind words or whatever, whatever they can do. But generally speaking, I I seem to see more, honesty and um, appreciation for hard work from them as well. So, Yeah, that's really interesting. I never thought about that before, about the loyalty. And, and it would make sense, I guess, you know, and I'm just trying to think back to, you know, some of who the big streamers are. And I guess one one example might be Nick Merckx. I feel like while, while he's not that polarizing, I feel like his audience is polarizing. You know, as I think mm. he's the most subscribed Twitch streamer at the moment, or at least one of, you know, 60,000 subscribers, which is like 1.2 million a year in 
in money for him at absolute minimum, just off subs. But most of those being young using Twitch Prime, it's a low, you know, dollar purchase. It's a four ninety nine USD purchase. You know, it doesn't cost mm-hmm. a whole lot. But also what I find is that most fans either watch exclusively Nick Merckx or they don't really watch him at all. You know, there's nothing mm. else in between. I know a bunch of people who are, you know, he's a god to them. And, you know, I've watched his stream like once or twice. Yeah, it's okay, but not my kettle of fish at all. Yeah, exactly right. Like, uh, that's the thing. I've watched a lot of streamers and just been like, I don't really see the appeal here, but I'm not the audience. That's the thing. I think I think the whole streaming side of things is either you're getting something from it. It might be a game that you haven't gotten a hold of yourself yet and you want to see how it is, or it might be someone's opinion. Like, for example, um, I might watch a popular or a successful esport player and it was just be to see how they play the game or how they speed run it. Um, and then you've got the other side, which is just the personality. And I think the people that watch someone for their personality, generally speaking, are the ones that um, see them as a celebrity or are a fan of theirs. And on average, that tends to be a younger audience on average. And that, and that would be, and I've tried to do this explanation in the past, so hopefully I can bring it out of my the, the vaults in my brain well enough, but I feel like that's the difference between a content creator and an influencer. An influencer is often influencing people off their personality and just who they are as a person, where a content creator will often influence people off the content that they create, the value that they provide and the quality of what they put out. So that's what I tried to do on say LinkedIn, for example, which is why we've been fairly successful because, you know, to be frank, the quality of content on LinkedIn is abysmal. So it's not that hard to be better than a lot of them, but we also, Mm -hmm. also we go way above and beyond that. But I think you see that with um, some makeup influencers and lifestyle influencers, which how they can come in and out so quickly because their content is about who they are and one little piece of drama that questions their character or integrity or something like that instantly it's 100% gone because it's not based on the quality of the content they create it's just based on how they look and when they start putting out their opinions people might realize like okay why actually do I follow this person is it just because they're better looking than me is it because their photos look cool because they get to go to Dubai and I don't and I think Mm -hmm. that's the reason why and I even see this talking to my my girlfriend who's, you know, started to unfollow, you know, these kind of beauty influencers who aren't as deep in their content. And she said that a lot of other people are doing the same. You have to be more than a pretty face now in a lot of cases and more than just a booty Instagrammer to get mm-hmm. some quality, you know, some solid viewership. You need to have actual knowledge of how to do good makeup and have good skills and be able to understand the ingredients within to, you know, actually get views on these platforms now. Yeah, you need to be a mix of both. You're exactly right. You can't just be a content creator without being an influencer. You can't just be an influencer without being a content creator. You need some level of value to what you produce. Like there's so many booty influencers now that it's just, it's just drowned out. People only follow them to, you know, see their pictures and then they leave, right? They're not, mm-hmm. they're not going to, not going to take makeup advice from them. They're not going to take travel advice from them. Cause there's like, there's studios in California now that are just in the interior of a seven for seven, right? Like it's just a fake, plain studio you just go in you take a photo of oh, hey i'm going to i'm traveling to paris today and then you leave right you don't even need to leave california to go to paris yeah. so th- that's what these influencers are doing so it, a lot of uh, people are kind of switching on to how fake this stuff all is so when it comes to influencing and creating content you just like it goes back to this you just got to talk about what you actually love like i actually am really excited for cyberpunk um you know, I've had the opportunity, I've had lots of opportunities that other people haven't had when it comes to the game. And I am currently in an opportunity that a lot of people won't have. And that makes me 
humble and blessed about it. Uh, you know, like I'm so lucky that I get to do this, but there's a reason why I keep talking about it and there's a reason why I keep creating content is because one, I know it's a good game. Two, I'm really looking forward to it. And three, I really enjoy talking about it and making content. So because of those three things, um, I'm, yes, I'm creating content, but I'm also influencing. It was like when I was talking about Borderlands 3, you know, I was getting the same kind of viewership as I'm getting now with um, Cyberpunk. And I can talk about how I have to rebrand and everything for different games. But um, in this particular case, they gave me a code to give to my subscribers and uh, all my viewers that would essentially give me a portion of a sale of the game if they bought it from the Epic store. So I said just off the cuff while during one of my live streams that, you know, if you guys are planning on buying this game, there's no pressure. You can see what it's like now. If you're planning on buying it, use my creator code and a portion of those sales go towards me, right? Uh, after that live stream, I sold 2.5 thousand copies of Borderlands 3. Um, mm -hmm. So if you want to talk about what actually gets people interested and what actually gets people sales, it's not necessarily just your personality. It's not just because you exist, you know, doctors disrespect, so they're going to do whatever he says. It's if you know what you're talking about and if you produce content where people can trust you. Um, that's, I think, what pushes sales a lot of the time in terms of um, you were talking about purely for brands and what they should be looking for. Uh, I find there's also a disconnect between uh, the value of streamers and YouTubers. I find that, you know, I might command the same uh, monetary value as someone with like 50 or 100 average viewers on Twitch. Whereas if I post one video and I get 100,000 views with, you know, 95,000 unique viewers, uh, that's ranked somehow the same. Whereas it's very clearly not. It's very, very clearly not. Um, you know, I could get thousands and thousands of view, uh, sales, whereas they would be lucky to get a few, a handful. But still, um, businesses still see those two as uh, very similar. So the, it's not, the industry is not quite caught up. So if you're planning on just doing YouTube, you're probably not going to get the same respect as a streamer right now um, until you reach those huge numbers. We're talking, you know, over, you know, over 500K um, average videos and then you get then people will just throw things at you essentially so mm. yeah that's some really good some really good points actually because there was there was a good question that came up in the chat actually that i wanted to ask you which is about yeah tracking tracking roi with content creators so i guess i'll ask that first before we go into the streamers versus youtube one because i know that's something that we wanted to talk about so what how how is roi usually tracked for you um, from from these people you're working with. So you've mentioned a few brands you work with. You work with Galax. Um, we're doing an upcoming campaign together with NVIDIA. Um, you said yep. you've worked with Opera. You've worked with Borderlands. So that's a good wide thing from physical um, goods to digital goods to, um, you know, video games as well from hardware across the software. So can you, can you uh, let us behind the curtain a bit on that? Yeah, sure. So a lot of the time they'll supply you with a tracking link. Essentially, it'll be a unique URL that um, they can see being clicked on, essentially. They can see when someone follows that link from wherever you placed it to where it goes. Um, usually there'll be a tracking pixel in that and the checkout page as well. So if someone checks out, they'll be able to track exactly 
where that sale came from. Um, so that's one way of doing it. Um, there is a thing called uh, branding when it comes to marketing as well that you can't track. So simply put, let's just say Coke sponsors me. They will, they'll never sponsor me, but let's say they do. And all they want is me to talk about Coke uh, in you know the first 20 seconds of my video. I'll do that. And they won't be able to track exactly how effective that was because you can't click on Coke online and go and buy a Coke online. You have to go into the store. You have to buy it that way. And maybe when you're thirsty, what will pop up in your mind is Coke. Like, but you know, I, I feel like a Coke now. And that's mm. my position that you've, you've influenced based on um, your content, right? Like you've, that's, that's a branding exercise that you can't track. So there's a lot of cases where, for example, Galax, they, they gave me the tracking pixel, but a lot of the time that was just branding. It's like when you've come, when, when it's your you know, time to buy a graphics card, that name will be in your mind. So mm. it might not be that you buy it now. It might be when you have some money, but that I have branded for them. So that's, that's one aspect of it. Um, there's been cases where uh, it's been simply we've, we've done a on CPM basis. So based on how many views I get is how much they'll pay me. And that's generally how we'll do that whole branding exercise. Whereas with, um, with when it's directly sales based, it, it will usually just be a follow the link in the description kind of exercise. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, that's, those are the two primary methods. There's, there's, there's other ways, but that I haven't been involved with those. So. Yeah, I think it's a pretty good summary. And what you were saying, basically, like we were talking about before, product market fit, it just depends on the type of product that's being sold, right? So like when we as an agency work with Unicorn, you know, they're focused on account signups and they might underpay upfront, but they'll very overpay on delivery of customers coming through, um, you know, as a, as a gambling company, that's what they like to do. Whereas working with Unicorn, they're mostly CPM based or at least viewership based because they understand that, you know, not everyone's going to buy a graphics card every week. Like they, you know, may, may enjoy that. If NVIDIA did that, please don't, if you're watching, but um, you know, they know that when the time comes and, it, and you know, the customer goes, okay, am I going team red or team green AMD versus NVIDIA? They go, well, I need to buy a new graphics card for cyberpunk. I've been watching a lot of content from Dantix and other YouTubers. They've all been talking about NVIDIA. So it seems like that's a graphics card to go for when I need to upgrade my PC. Mm-hmm. And you know that you're hoping that. And that's, there was a good case study from Coca-Cola. I remember about that because the question is always like, who doesn't know what Coca-Cola is? Everyone knows. So they don't need to do brand recognition. But you, like you said, they need to be in front of people's eyeballs all the time. And there was a case study that was done on, I think it was a small state in the US and they like canceled all advertising for one, for one month to see. And they lost an incredible amount of market share because they're just mm. not always popping up on billboards, always popping up on buses, you know, in, you know, YouTube ads in front of people's minds all the time because their ads are incredibly simple. Usually it's people look good and they're having a fun time in the sun and they're drinking Coke. So they're hoping that you, every time you go, well, you know, I'm out at the beach having a great time with mates. I'm going to go buy a Coke. You know, I want to cool down. want to have something refreshing. And put yeah. They try to associate images and feelings with, with Coke now, instead of, instead mm-hmm. of telling you to go buy it, they want to associate it with things, which is exactly what you were saying. 
So for, so for you to kick off this conversation about the streamers versus YouTubers and for anyone watching, whether it's live on LinkedIn, especially now or later on listening to the podcast is I'm having a lot of trouble justifying the sponsorship of streamers in regards to direct ROI or conversions. So we've done a lot of campaigns with um, like some gambling companies before and a lot, of, a lot of campaigns with direct sale. So wanting to do a sponsored stream or sponsored multiple streams to drive direct link clicks through for someone to convert onto a product. But in the, but my experience with that has been extremely poor. So we're also doing a little bit, bit of work with Opera at the moment that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And we've had similar conversations with them. Primarily, they've worked with YouTubers. They're considering working with streamers. But I don't seem to have the confidence that I'll be able to get people to convert across. And part of that, I think, is due to the cost, like you were saying. So, you know, if you've got um, 300 concurrent viewers, you're making some pretty decent money. As a, as a streamer, you, you're very likely full time unless you just don't want to be. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you, you could you could be making six figures or more per year out of that. I know some people who are of, of similar. But what I found with these campaigns is that if you're doing one single sponsored stream for three k, which is pretty normal, you know, a four hour stream for about three thousand US payment, you're just not going to see that conversion coming through unless you've got that long long tail in it where they're talking about the game all the time, where you're sponsoring them for months and months on end. But if you put all of those three thousand dollars streams together. It just doesn't seem to convert. But with a channel, you know, your size, you might be able to buy an ad for two grand to six grand, depending on, you know, how many views is coming through. And usually you can see those conversions. Like you were saying that two and a half thousand copies of Borderlands sold, you know, attaching graphics cards. And obviously, you know, with the gambling stuff that we've done before with a lot of people who are similar sizes. So I'm a, I don't even, that wasn't really a question. It was more like a bit of a rant. I'm having a really (laughs) hard time justifying sponsoring streamers besides in this area. When I was at Corsair, I sponsored three streamers ongoing. So Oasis on Overwatch, Badger Pants and Pig. And that was great because it allowed me whenever I launched new products to get them to tweet about it. It allowed me to bring them to live events. So when I was at PAX, they could do meetups. If I did B2B sales events, I brought Badger Pants through JB Hi-Fi with my esports team to meet people while there was a sale on to try to push people through to sell. But I never expected and, and never even really tried to convert directly off that. So is, yep. I'm wondering like, is there a solution for direct st- sale of Twitch streaming? Do Twitch streamers need to kind of, you know, drop their pants as far as the dollars they ask for in, in regards to that? I'm just having a really hard time justifying it. Yeah. So I think it's a matter of um, the, the whole, this whole industry is so new. You know, we've come so far in even just five years that, mm. you know, there wasn't, we weren't where we were at five years ago, where we're at now. Um, so this is all going to change and values are all going to be, you know, tuned and whatever. Right. But the main thing is if you're getting 300 concurrent viewers, you're simply not going to get the same amount of conversions or sales for those who don't know what I mean. Um, You're not going to get the same amount of sales from that as you would as someone that's getting vastly more views on a YouTube. video. It's just, it's just never going to happen because there's simply more eyeballs on one than there is on the other. So what is the value of streaming? Well, the value would be what we talked about before, the branding. So if you, if you, if you sponsor a streamer and you know, they've got their brand, you've got your brand in the corner, like for example, it might be Corsairs in the corner. Um, and every time they stream that logo appears there, then you've achieved that position. And I think that is stronger than trying to get direct sales off, off Twitch or off um, YouTube live or Facebook. Um, so when it comes to sponsorships, I understand, you know, these peripheral companies, I understand, um, you know, even, even 
developers reaching out to streamers to get them to play certain games. I understand that because that provides some value. But when it comes to selling a product, I just don't think streaming provides the same value as um, sponsoring someone on YouTube or sponsoring someone that makes content. Mm, it just will yeah. just never... It's just a, it's just a physicality problem, right? It's you know, you know, for someone like me who would stream very regularly, when I stream on YouTube, I'll get thousands of viewers, right? That's just going to happen because it's such an infrequent thing. Um, on that, I still wouldn't get even as close to the response as I would if I just posted a video. It's, so I can see the direct comparison in terms of what would sell and what wouldn't, and it's just there's just there's no there's nothing there. It's just a matter of numbers. People can watch the video whenever they want. They can take their time. They can digest it. People are only online a certain amount of time and people have things to do. They're not going to be able to focus on you all the time, especially with that 25 plus age group. They have a job, they have a wife, they have a life, you know, they can't just sit and watch you. Uh, Mm -hmm. And once that stream is gone, people are very unlikely. I don't know the exact stats, but people are very unlikely to watch a VOD on Twitch. It's just not a thing. You know, it's only if you're very popular that they would, or it's Mm. a particular live stream for a game or for a product wherein they're like, oh, I really want to watch this, this particular game playthrough, or I want to watch this tournament. For example, I'm watching uh, like a Hearthstone tournament right now before I jumped on this. I was just seeing how that went and all the new cards. And, you know, I wanted, I didn't really care too much about who was playing, but I just wanted to see what it was like. So, Mm. Yeah, so I guess the answer, I guess the answer really is from that. Like, if you want to make a direct sale and it's just a once-off, it's it's not really worth it, unless you're working with someone of like absolute significant size, or you know you, you're working with someone who's getting ten thousand plus concurrence, or you are you know doing a blitz, say like Apex Legends, you know where they sponsored every single Fortnite streamer for you know a month basically, or at least for two weeks, and you know that's that's part of why they're able to achieve that. But that was a blitz because they sponsored everyone. <laughs> you know, like yeah. every single streamer I never would have thought would even enjoy the game, but because they played Fortnite, they're all being paid you know millions of dollars as a, as a collective to to play Apex Legends as part of that too. So, yeah, Apex had a huge a huge push, and I think a lot of its success was because of that push. But yeah, when it comes to gaming, when it comes to gaming, developers reaching out to streamers is is definitely very valuable because. Mm. You know, there's a difference between showcasing the product for a full three hours rather than just talking about it for 20 seconds during the stream, right? If you're yeah. showcasing a product for three hours and they get to see it being played and they get to enjoy your personality while you play it, there is an intrinsic value there because you know, they might trust your opinion. They might, you know, laugh with you. You might add some personality to it. 100%, 100%. But at the same token, you know, I can do the same thing with a video, right? I can do the exact same thing. Um the difference is when I, when I make, you know, news videos or when I talk about a game, it's always my opinion. It's never, it's never a sponsored thing unless it's specifically sponsored. And when it is specifically sponsored, I only ever do guides. I only ever do walkthroughs. You know, I'll never, I'll never put my opinion on it because I find that very dishonest. Um, so when it's something, when it's cyberpunk content, none of that is sponsored, right? I'm not getting paid a cent for any of that. That is all purely just I want to talk about this and this is my opinion and this is what's going to happen and this is what's coming up, right? Um, so would that result in the games being sold? Yeah, 100%. I've, I know hundreds, thousands of people that have bought the game specifically because of my videos, right? Um, but I don't take a cent from that, you know? Cyberpunk, City Project Red doesn't send me anything for that, you know? I haven't got I haven't gotten a chair. I haven't gotten any any content from them. They don't take care of Australians. You know they don't care about us. Um, <laughs> but 
that's just how it is, right? So it's none of that is influenced. And you have to consider that when you become a content creator, YouTuber is a lot of the time when you do post stuff, the only method of income will be ads on your on your videos. And those ads are coming from YouTube. So you can't control them. You can't control what they said on them. Um, you can just control where they go if, if the video is over a certain length. Um, mm-hmm. And I believe you had a few questions around that as well. That you were. Yeah. Yeah, no, because that's that's something we talked about a little bit, right, that, that I'm experiencing right now through as an agency working with a content creator as well as personally with our advertising on LinkedIn. It's just around that frequency. So, you know, some of the stuff we talked about is how often you do these ads. So we made a mistake with an NVIDIA campaign where we signed on with an influencer. The return for them was a certain amount of video views for, for NVIDIA. But because of the size of the channel, um, you know, every every campaign can only really go for a month, a month and a half a lot of the time. You know, they've got a, mm. it's based around a bundle. It's based around a new release. You know, you want to make sure that campaign is done in a timely manner. But because of the size of this influencer, we had to book, you know, five 20-second ad rolls plus five tweets. And, yeah, I think that was all the delivery. And it's just too much to do because not only does he have other advertisers that he's potentially working with, but he's only got so many videos that he's posting as well. You know, if you're only doing two videos per week, you can't do every video as a, you know, as a sponsored yeah. 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 So there's, there's a lot to, there's a lot to unpack here. <laughs> um, one, I would never in a million years recommend five. There's just, there's a, have, do you notice display ads on your PC anymore? When you scroll no. through, you know, news.com.au, do you ever see any ad? You don't cause you've got banner blindness now. It's, it's, it's very similar with YouTube videos and it's, it used to be that advertising was a lot more potent on YouTube simply because it was such a fresh new thing, but now it's all catching up and viewers know to once they're used to the content, know to skip it um, or to look away or to do something else says look at their phone. So if you want an effective campaign, the best way to do it is to have one or two videos at most. Uh, I did the most I ever did was with Skillshare and I did four, three or four videos, but that was over like a two, three month period. And between those videos, I had videos with absolutely no ads in them. You know, mm. so my ratio recommendation is 70-30. So 70% unbranded, unfiltered content, and only 30% maximum you should do mm. that is sponsored. That that's my recommendation. Um, so in his case, he would have to make 15 videos to get out those five sponsored yeah. uh, ad rolls. So I think that's a, that's a tall order. Yeah, it is. And it, and it has been, it's been a struggle, but thankfully he's way over delivered on views anyway. So yeah. then, then the discussion around how many pieces, like it doesn't, you know, I think it was something like 120,000 book views. He's already 190,000 with two videos to go. So it's like, you know, what more do you want from us? We've already over delivered, but it always depends yeah, exactly. on the brand, right? Some brands are sticklers for, I asked for five logos and you put in four and I don't care that you got me a million views instead of 20. <laughs> you know, that's what I want. Like, sometimes there's brands you work with. Always negotiating. It's like um, I, I run a cafe as well, a food business cafe. Um, and we've always got customers coming in and saying things like, you know, it looked like this in the pictures, but there's like one extra toast on this plate. Um, and then they just sit there kind of just waiting for you to say, oh, you know, we'll take it off your bill or something, even though I've given them more than they've asked for. It's, there's always those customers. It's just, um, and that's like, that's like businesses as well. They'll, they'll try to, they'll try to squeeze you for as much as you've got, unfortunately. And then there's some that are just really good. There are some that will just 
hey, we just want to look after you. Um, let's work out something for the both of us. Mm. And those are absolute pleasures to work with, but you do have the occasional dick. <laughs> and I've got out of out of um video game brands, you'd expect EA to be terrible, but EA are really good. Like I've had nothing but good experiences with um with EA. And there's one particular um community manager that works for uh, Asia Pacific. And she's a, she's fantastic. She'll like take care of you. Um, she'll like check in. Like, she rings me occasionally just to see how I'm going. Like, yeah, right. yeah so it, it really depends It for business, business wise, it really depends on um, who you have to deal with in terms of if you're going to get that kind of treatment, like they're going to be sticklers for how many logos you put in or whatever. But yeah. Um, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta learn to filter through that, which is a bit of an effort, unfortunately. Yeah. So I guess a couple of things out of that. A, I mean, she's doing a great job because that's what a, you know, like what a community manager should be doing, right? Like making 100%. sure that they're in touch with their audience, but it, it doesn't happen. And I think a lot of the time is because a, you know, a lot of community managers are untrained, but B, that is crazily overworked. I think, you know, I, I like to joke sometimes that my first job in the industry was community manager, which was code word for underpaid marketing manager. But um, that's just because I didn't have much experience. I was only 19. But you find that most of the time, I think, with these community managers. They've got to be like a social media expert, a community manager. They've got to do marketing. They've got to do trade shows, run tournaments, like all that stuff. It's pretty crazy out there. Yeah, and there's, there's a few of us uh, content creators that are pains in the asses, I'll just say. <laughs> um, it, wouldn't be, it wouldn't be easy dealing with a lot of divas. <laughs> that there's is a lot true. of divas. My favorite story is, um, is working on a PAX booth um, and the streamers um, were told like, okay, you need to be here at 10 a.m. tomorrow, you know, to do your stage appearance. And then they, and then they looked at each other and they said, okay, we'll see you at 1 p.m. and then walked away. And then what? they didn't turn up until 3 p.m. <laughs> that's that's what it's like working with content creators sometimes. <laughs> I guess you get, I guess it takes all kinds, right? Like I was lucky enough that I was hammered in uh, the corporate environment, right? Like I could never do anything like that. I'd just be destroyed. So I spent yeah. 10 years in that industry. So now when it comes to timings and everything, I know that um, ironically I was almost late for this, but <laughs> that was because of the PT conversion to um the calendar invite that I got from this, but uh, yeah, that was my, my fault, but almost late, but I always try to be early, like half an hour early to everything. Um, yeah. But people who jump into content creation and, and get very lucky. And I'm going to say lucky because there's a lot of very, very talented content creators out there that just never get seen, just never get eyes on their content. Um, and there is a, there is a portion of luck involved unfortunately for a lot of people. Like I, I would consider myself very lucky in a lot of cases. Um, there's some very, very lucky people that haven't quite matured to the point that their business demands. So because they command so much, um, well, they have so much business power, but they don't have the business knowledge yet. I feel like they're missing out on a lot of opportunities. Like for example, I'm sure that they didn't get booked again for a, a similar event, right? Yeah, very true. Yeah, they won't they won't work with that brand ever again. Well, the other way around, the brand won't work with them. <laughs> That's for sure. And yeah, yeah you exactly. find that. Yeah, definitely, it's right. Like that, people who are easy to work with. You know, they're they're the ones. Like you know, we're working together at the moment. It's been it's been a breeze. But some of the other content creators, from big to small, I could name like Fusion Droid. You know, I love working with him. He's always very accountable. He always 
does things on time. Badjo Pants has probably been the best I've ever worked with. You know, he will send me his proof of execution reports before I ask. Like if I forget, he's already got them ready to go. Um, you know, Loser Fruit as well, who's on that mega star level. You know, she's got her own skin in Fortnite. She's been fantastic. And she's even stepped in for other people before at their price when there's been someone that's pulled out the last second when she's like, you know, I think she was literally um, six six times the size of this other influencer, but because they pulled out literally last minute, she jumped in it and did the stuff, you know. So that's, she's got my allegiance for life, like working with someone like her, you know, gladly pay her whatever she wants for a future campaign because I know that I can trust these these people. I, um, I went to an event in Japan and she was kind of in the same crew as us. And I had no idea who she was at the time. So I remember like the first interaction with her was, oh, hi, um, hi I'm Dan, you know. Uh, I can't remember exactly what I said. I'm like paraphrasing. And I asked her what she did. And I just felt like so. I'm so embarrassed now just <laughs> looking back, thinking about it. She's like, oh, you know, I stream and stuff. She didn't really like Relax. sell herself. I don't. I still feel bad to this day. I did a very similar thing. So there was it was Ali, who's a fantastic like. She she does a lot of retro games, a lot of streaming of Dark Souls and things like that as well. And she was there with a YouTuber that I know at the PAX booth, and she rocked up. And I did that horrible, you know, cliche asshole gamer male thing, which is like, oh, are you are you his girlfriend? Like are you here. You know, just with him, and she's like, "No, I'm a YouTuber," and I'm like, "Oh God, why did I? Oh, like, no. Why? Why would I even ask that question? I feel, I still you're feel done. embarrassed." Yeah, yeah, you're done with her today. now. She's you're gonna be that guy forever. Exactly. Yeah, she's too. She's probably too nice to tell me. I still talk to her a bit today, but every time, yeah, yeah. like I talk sure, to her, I still funny. feel that embarrassment about that. But the other thing is, you said you run a cafe. I didn't mm. know that at all. So you, so you run a cafe as well at the same time. Yeah, yeah. I guess this. I guess we can lead into how much work you want to put into your life and how much sleep you want to get. Um, yeah, you sound like me, basically insane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, this this month in November, I think every day I've gotten an average of about two or three hours sleep. So, yeah. if you want to talk about how much effort goes into even a small channel like mine, um, it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot of work. Um, but yeah, I, I ended up uh, this end of last year, uh, you know, concepting, creating, implementing, um, running, you know, a food business. Um, and I did that with a business mm-hmm. partner. He does a lot of the the business side of things like stock and um, ordering. And I do a lot of the people side of things like hiring, firing, um, payments. Um, and we both run the floor. So um, certain days I'll be in, it feels like a break to me, honestly, just like, running the floor compared to YouTubing. Um, but yeah, that's, that's my side business. Um, during COVID it took a hit. We were doing takeaway only. Mm. Uh, but now we, we've kicked into gear and it's one of the most popular cafes um, in all of my state. Uh, it's the highest rated on Zomato. It's wow. um, one of the highest rated on Google as well. So we're doing really well. Um and we're fully booked out until after New Year's, so I'm, I'm pretty pretty happy with how that's going. But it does keep me busy. Um, like we're just, I was just working on a new menu just before, like a new specials board. Um, but yeah, that's a new, a whole different set of skills. But three years ago, when I started the channel, I know there's a question in the chat right now that I'll get to. Uh, three years ago, when I started the channel, um, I just left corporate. I was in uh, an advertising agency. And I still remember this asshole. <laughs> he, I, I was generating a report for, I'm not going to mention the company, but it was a very big company. And it was, it was about their display and video advertising. And 
it turned out that the display advertising was doing a lot better than the video content. But my boss, knowing that we made like 30 grand extra on video ads, wanted me to change the numbers. So naturally I said, no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> not changing numbers, not putting my, you know, my integrity on the line for something that will, in the grand scheme of things, basically make you nothing and cost you a million dollar account. Yeah. Um, and he didn't like that very much. So we went ahead and did it himself. Um, and obviously that still ties to me because I was a media, you know, the head of media at that time. And, um, then the next, the next time I offered him all these solutions, what we can do for video content, what we can do for, um, a social media content. And he pretty much dismissed every single idea I had. He didn't listen to me. He didn't want to make changes. He didn't want to update our analytics. So I ended up leaving. And then for fun, I just decided to kind of do that stuff myself. And now here I am making more money than his stupid department has ever made. And I was right. So <laughs> I feel really yeah. good about that. Um, so essentially I, I said to myself back then, I'm, I'm just never going to work in that environment again. It's just so morally ambiguous and I just didn't enjoy it. I, I wanted to make my own decisions. I want to be responsible for myself and my own business. So I didn't take a wage for a good year, maybe even more, um, to build I didn't even think YouTube was going to be a thing, to be honest. I just did it for fun, just to like prove him wrong almost at that stage. Mm. Um, Good feel, huh? Yeah, it felt, felt really great. Um, but I didn't, make any, I didn't make anything for the first year. You know, nothing. To the point where, you know, even like, even like there'll be like dollars coming in here and there at the end. But to the point where like, I don't think feasibly anyone starting has that luxury not everyone has that luxury and I completely understand that, but I feel that's a trap a lot of people fall into. They try to build their channel or try to build their community up on the back of, I need to make money as well. So they end up sacrificing what they actually enjoy doing and sacrificing their brand in order to make those dollars, to make this viable, to make that whole process viable. And unfortunately I don't think it works so well. So that was the advantage that I had is that I could just, I could just focus on exactly what I was good at and exactly what I wanted to do for a good year before I made anything, before I made any money. Um, so for those asking in chat, it was about three years. Um, the reason I don't have a Patreon is because I also don't believe in getting donations. Like I just, there's something about, there's something about getting donations from people on a regular basis that I don't, particularly agree with I'm okay with it for other people. But for me, I just feel like I'm under an obligation at that point. I want to provide my audience honest content. And if they don't want to watch it, they don't want to subscribe to it. They don't have to. And I make money off what they do enjoy, not what the promise of what they're going to enjoy is, if that makes sense. And I also don't believe my audience should really pay for my stuff. I believe that should be on brands to do because I'm providing a service to my audience that benefits brands that benefits these companies. So why should my audience pay for that? When it's, it's almost like if I was to talk to you about Coke, Chris, and you had to pay me for it. Like, how do you, how do you sell that? You can't sell that to me in my mind. It just doesn't work that way. So for me, I just don't like Patreon because of that. Mm. Um, 
I'm not saying it's a bad service, but for me and for my needs, I just don't like having that obligation there. It's really interesting. I guess like one, one similar line I can bring to that donation aspect is a guy that I've listened to hundreds of hours of content of is Jocko Willink, ex-Navy SEAL, gets up at 4.30 every morning. I started doing jiu-jitsu because of him. Very glad I did. So get a lot out of his content, you know, and he doesn't accept donations either. And the thing that he says is if you want to support us, buy a piece of equipment that we produce and that supports mm. you at the same time. So it's not yeah. just you paying for the content. We're going to make this content whether you listen or not, but we will only produce high quality products. So if you're getting a jujitsu, you know, rash guard, if you want to buy, you know, he's invested in a, in a company that makes, you know, jeans and shoes and things like that. If you want one of those, if you want a t-shirt, buy the one that I produce because then I make a bit of money out of that and you actually get a good product that goes with that too. There's a bit of a transaction. And it's almost like, I remember trying to explain to one of my friends in early high school, there was like a council council fundraiser and they were selling pens for $5. And he was like, there's no way this pen's worth $5. And I was like, mate, it's not, it's not the pen that you're paying $5 for. You know, it's, yeah. the, it's the 20 cent pen you get as part of giving them a donation. Like you can't yeah, think exactly. of it like a, it's not a Hungry Jack's meal deal. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Well, it back in the day, now this, I'm not sure, well, I'll use code words here, but back in the day, you know, there was ways of getting around legality. Like you weren't allowed to sell beer, for example. Let's just say beer. So you'd sell a pen for $15 and you'd get a free beer with it. Yeah. That was yeah, one way. Things that happen. Isn't that, that's pretty, isn't that pretty much, I don't know if it's changed, but that's pretty much the Amsterdam loophole as well. They've yeah, got something so. like that. Like you can sell it as a company, but you can't buy it. So it just automatically appears and some money goes out of their accounts and then they can sell things. And it's like yeah. those, it's been those rules in Canberra for a long time as well. They've, they've, they keep changing like, you know, different drug um, legalities and, you know, there's all these weird loopholes that they seem to put in on purpose. It's, I don't know. It feels like tax to me, man. I was talking to one of my friends yesterday about this. It was like when I go through all the tax implications of the business and how I'm a trustee of a trust that's, you know, we have a parent company and a sub company, it feels illegal. It's like, why should all this stuff exist? I feel like it needs to be so straightforward, but it's got to to destroy an entire industry of accountants, you know, if if it's simple. So maybe they don't want it to be simple. Tax time for content creators is a nightmare. I'm just going to say that. Um, You'll know, obviously, because you're in a similar position, but I function as a sole trader. And then I also have a business entity where I'm I'm the director, which is my cafe. So there's... Um, so I have to do a personal tax return as well as a business tax return, as well as another business tax return. Um, and then you have to work out, you know, all the nitty gritties that come with that. So if anyone's starting and they are making a decent amount of money, I recommend using a platform like Zero to really track all of the income that you're getting, all of the expenses that you have and make it really easy for your accountant to get in there because yeah, tax guy will destroy you. But over, over the COVID period, um, I'm not sure if those watching in America or anywhere else are aware, but Australia has been essentially paying for people to live during the COVID period because a lot of people have been out of work. So we have a JobKeeper program and we have some other programs where, wherein they get, you know, a set amount of money. I think it's about, uh, it was seven fifty uh, a week for a long period of time for job JobKeeper, which is what, like nearly $1,000 USD. Um, and that would cover people that are out of work or that are working, you know, less hours within a company and make it easier for the businesses to keep them employed. But I found that all of my tax was going towards, you know, paying all of these people's kind of like job keeper. Um, and I was still earning money, but no one else was paying tax, but you know, the little guys, like the little 
the cafes and the sole traders and the people still working. And it just felt like I was getting none of these benefits at all, but I was paying like an exorbitant amount of money still in tax. Yeah. Um, yeah. So tax is an interesting one. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting one. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's, I think I talked about this last week on my podcast with Fusion Droid, but that's why him and I started talking a lot and ended up becoming friends because he was tweeting about how he hates paying so much tax. And we talked about this last week as well as he's only set up as a sole trader with the amount of money that he's earning. You know, I yeah. think he's only got a bookkeeper. He doesn't even have a proper accountant. And I've tried, I'm trying to, I've got two, you know, I've got an account that I use and I've got another one that knows content creation really well. So shout out to Jeremy yeah. Swan. He's probably watching this or he will listen to this later. You know, I'm trying yeah. to get, um, him and, and Fusion Droid in the same room together because, <laughs> you know, it, it does feel illegal, but there's just so many legal things you can do with tax that, you know, will instantly save you a bunch of money or at least protect you as a, yeah, as but a business it, as well. So, so I've run into a, a few cases where, like this year has obviously been pretty difficult because of um, because of COVID and not making as much income at, the, at my other business. And um, I've been able to claim a lot of things. Like you can, if you're using a computer, for example, in content creation, you can claim that, right? Mm. Um so I've made less money this year than, than last money, or the last year, last money, last year on paper, technically. But then when I want to apply for a mortgage, for example, for a house, uh, the bank will just look at your bottom line. They'll just look at how much you've, you, you've claimed that you've made as income after all the expenses are taken out. And if they look at that and it's much less than the year before, they're like, oh, whoa, whoa, we're a bit scared here. Like we're not, we don't know what's going on there. So it's a lot more difficult to, um, to get a loan for, let's say, like buying a, buying a place or whatever. So there's, there's a lot of things that go into managing your finances, I think, when you're a sole trader that you kind of need to learn very quickly. And the big one is make sure you keep your money in one spot and don't spend it because you're going to be just slammed at the end of the year or the end of the month based on or the end of the quarter based on when often you're doing your tax returns. But um, you'll just yeah. be slammed. You'll just hit that. You'll see that bill and you'll be like, what? <laughs> what am I, what am I pay- and suddenly you become an expert in tax because you'd be like, I want to find out what the hell I am paying for. Like, yeah. I don't, I don't need these police officers. I don't need these schools. I don't need these roads. And it's like, <laughs> exactly. And, hey, and now you can tell exactly for anyone watching as to, you know, when you get older and when you start earning money, this is when you start caring a lot more about politics and everything. Cause I found that yeah. too, you know, when you're younger and you know, was, you know, I used to work at KFC every Thursday, which gave me enough money to get petrol really, you know, while studying in year 12, I didn't, I didn't care. So I wasn't really paying any tax, you know, earning $50 a week after, after tax. But <laughs> when you start earning some more money and you start running a business and things like that too, like that's when you start asking those questions, you're like, okay, yeah. wait a minute, you know, where, where is these tens of thousands of dollars going? to again <laughs> yeah exactly it's like and that's what i was looking at i'm like if you actually look at the breakdown of where all the tax dollars goes i'm like there's such a big chunk going to people that aren't working right now and i shouldn't be pissed off about that because it actually makes the country such an amazing place the reason australia and melbourne yeah. in particular is the world's most livable city is a lot to do with the fact that we don't have ghettos we don't have like areas that we don't have a high unemployment rate but we kind of do now because of COVID, but we didn't have a high unemployment rate. Um, we don't have these ghettos. We, we take care of everyone within the country, but that obviously bumps the tax rate up. So we pay quite a lot of tax. So a lot of middle income earners, unfortunately in Australia, just get absolutely reamed because higher income earners, no ways to, to dodge tax, right? They, they'll make their business entity over in the Cayman Islands and then they'll, their business will pay the Cayman Islands a licensing favor of every single dollar of profit they make. So they don't have to pay a cent um, in tax. They'll do things like that. So the middle income will generally pay everything. Um, and then, yeah, when you hit 
when you start, you know, sole trading and you're making a set amount of money and not paying tax on it until tax time, you notice it come out. Whereas if you have an income where you just see a little bit come out every, every couple of weeks or whatever in your um, pay slip, it's, it's very different. Um, yeah. And yeah. Anyway, I remember doing that in the past as a sole trader, you know, having a separate bank account, you know, within my account that was just set up as ABN tax and transferring, you know, 25% of all the money that came in instantly to that. But then you get, you know, it feels good when you get a mini tax return from yourself, you know, once you, once you bump down that, but you know, you're seeing all that money in there and you're like, man, that's half a house deposit. Like I don't want to pay my tax. Like can I just not pay my tax this year? But definitely that's not the case. I remember my old accountant was telling me some stories about, you know, some of the small businesses you work with that's like, yeah, they haven't paid tax in five years and now they owe like $400,000 in tax in one hit. And, you know, the government's chasing them. And the the last thing, you know, when the government wants money from you, like that's not what you want as anybody ever. You know, you you don't want the government because they chase that. They hound that on everything else. Maybe if you're on Centrelink, you know, the government find ways not to pay you. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, when they want money from you, like they get it. Oh, yeah. Just on the phone to the council, just for little things like helping my business out, impossible. But if they're chasing up tax, I don't know, they've got, they get hitman after you. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. But just to, like, to, to fall back to the patron thing, um, yeah. If you want to support me or Cotty Creators, the best way for me and a lot of creators is simply to subscribe and to simply like and comment on the videos. I know people say that all the time, but that's what actually helps. Because for a lot of cases, um, for a, like a, a channel like me, I'm just ch- I'm chasing that higher subscriber rate. I'm chasing all that interaction. That gives me more than just giving me money. That gives me more personally. Like I get, I have a bigger smile on my face. Um, I feel like I'm doing something. My efforts going towards something, um, even if it doesn't directly give me a set you know, it doesn't directly give me income. It works towards something. It's, it's building something for the future. And that's mm-hmm. why I feel like that is the best way to support anyone that you really enjoy. It's just, it costs you nothing as a person to chuck a like on or chuck a subscribe on and hit a bell, you know, like it doesn't, you can always undo it if you ever need mm-hmm. to. So and it, and it boosts your, it boosts your content in every way, right? Like, yeah. you know, that's, and that's the same thing I say to people, you know, we, we were studying this massive LinkedIn algorithm study recently and myself and my team about, you know, how to continue growth on there. And, you know, it was something like if, if people comment within the first, you know, if you get like three comments within the first hour, that's a 10% boost in the algorithm. Like that's all we need to start reaching more people that then we can sell more ads for, or for you just by them watching that video, they're paying you a cent or two cents or three cents just with their eyeballs, really, you know, just being part of that CPM, but liking it, commenting it, you know, that starts to boost it within the algorithm as well. Teaches YouTube that, Hey, this video is quality. You should show it to more people should turn up in more recommended and it can take off from there. And that's a good um, segue into the actual algorithm of YouTube and how it is. Uh, For those who don't know, YouTube has an algorithm wherein it knows what videos to show you as a particular person. That algorithm changes so often that a lot of people are kind of left in the dust. I know a particular Minecraft YouTuber that I used to watch because he did these, um, did these videos that were pretty enjoyable where he would get fans in and do a build off with them. Mm. Um, I believe his name was rage gaming or something along those lines. And that was really enjoyable. And he got millions of views on those videos, but now the algorithm changed slightly. And now his videos struggle to get anything, um, which is really unfortunate because he, he makes decent content. Um, but that's just how it works. So when it comes to people see my videos and like, oh, you're really exploding. I'm like, yeah, but this was 
plant, right? Like it, the way the algorithm works is it sees your content. It delivers it to an audience within the first short time frame, And then it kind of works out how good that content is based on numbers behind the scenes, which always change. They always change. It could be bounce rate one week. It could be views one week. It could be um, how many subscribers versus non-subscribers are watching it. It could be just, it's, it's, it's these metrics that you can't put a value on, but essentially boil down to how good your video is for the audience that it's been delivered to. So um, when I put a video, let's say for cyberpunk up and I haven't made many cyberpunk videos, my audience might not necessarily be interested in those videos. So when it gets delivered to a small sample rate of my subscribers, cause it doesn't get delivered to all of them. They all don't see it. It's only a small sample rate. And if there's a below a certain percentage or threshold that isn't interested, then it doesn't get delivered. Someone just goes, you can tell that Chris is bored. <laughs> <laughs> that must be my listening face. Am so I, am, am like I a, boring you, Chris? No, nah, people have a resting bitch face. I must have a resting bitch face, I'd say. In the, that just yeah, totally the threw track. me off. That threw my, my whole like, train of thought off. So, I'm sorry, um, Jacoby. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so it, 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 then it, it kind of establishes where that video sits. So mm-hmm. if I post a cyberpunk video now, because I have so many people who are already interested in that content that aren't subscribed and it gets delivered that content and they click on it, they watch it for a certain period. It's going to start promoting it more and more. And you'll find that my videos start appearing higher on the search rankings. It starts appearing in people's um, notifications. It starts Mm. appearing on their front page. And then the snowball happens where you just grow exponentially. So if I just post a video with, with, with no lead up, like a, for example, let's just say it's for Borderlands, not Borderlands. Um, let's just say it's for Mass Effect and one of the games that will be coming out in the future. It's a news video for that. It might it might get five thousand views. It might get ten thousand views. But that is probably where it'll sit within the first couple of days, right? Just because there's no, I've put no effort into building that particular content up. And you'll see that happen with IGN as well. You know, they'll they'll post something that's not exactly searched for on YouTube's algorithm, and you won't get that many views for it. They just they just won't. They'll get like. 10,000, 20,000 within the first day. It's the same as me. But when you've spent a good eight months plus just hammering that content, if I just post Mass Effect, Mass Effect, Mass Effect, Mass Effect, I'm going to start building up people that actually start watching it, that are interested in that content. And then it starts delivering it to those people. So you start training the algorithm for your particular channel. Um, so you start training it and it knows which ones to deliver to. Therefore, it's getting better clicks and because it's getting better clicks, it starts promoting it more. You start hitting the front page more. You start hitting more notifications. It starts delivering it to more of your subscribers. And then the snowball happens and you start getting crazy views, right? So the algorithm kind of works that way. And it has worked that way for the past three years, as long as I've known. So what that means is I really push hard a particular game. And then at the end of the cycle for it, or if I get bored, I'll start rebranding and then I'll start rebranding by pushing content that I want to push and start training the algorithm to recognize that, you know, I'm going to start producing this content. So there's a lot of lead up to it. You can't just post 
a video that you put, you know, 20 years of your life and experience into and expect that to do well, even if it's the best produced video ever, which is, which mm. realistically isn't really good of YouTube to do, but that's just how his algorithm works. So it's just yeah. interesting to think about it that way. And I guess there's two things in there, right? It's the consistency of content plus the quality. We, exactly. we had this problem ourselves on LinkedIn where we were posting too many podcast clips that weren't getting that great interaction. And we were teaching LinkedIn that, okay, you know, say, I think we make an average around, around 18 posts a week. So we were teaching LinkedIn that six out of those 18 posts every week aren't very good. So you should stop showing crystal with many people because the content isn't as impressive. And the other thing you were saying as well is about that changing of type of content. You know, I started to try to post some more lifestyle content on LinkedIn. At first it absolutely bombed, but I started slowly putting that a bit into there. You know, me doing some, me me lifting weights down in the basement with lockdown, you know, me starting to pick up some PRs and then Gymshark sent me some gear. So posting a little bit about that and we did a deal with Ghost Lifestyle with Exet. So I posted a bit about that and why it's important. And now when I post this, kind of post it's finally to that stage where i'm able to do that so i'm able to diversify the content away from you know just that purely i guess nerdy you know esports heavy business stuff so and i mean it's yeah, exactly. really what we're talking about and why i'm trying to say this is re-explaining exactly what you said is like it's the same on every platform every platform has our algorithm every social media has an algorithm every social media has content creators every social media has to have that 0.1 percent of users who are the ones that actually generate everything else for everybody to see yeah, exactly. Exactly right. Um, it, it's, it's interesting because in a lot of ways, I see a lot of people, especially uh, Twitch stars trying to break into YouTube and posting a lot of their VODs and without any editing, just kind of just like throwing it up there. And they don't do, typically yeah. don't do well. They just, no. they just don't. Unless you're it's huge, they, they always bomb, right? Yeah. Yeah. Unless you're massive, unless you're just like, you're, you're a doctor disrespect level where you can just kind of like post anything and anyone will watch it. Right. Um, yeah. but that's the critical mass that, you know, not even 1% of people have, right. Like not, yeah. you're talking 1% of the 1% of the 1% of the 1%, right? Like two people in the world kind of thing will have that level of reach. Um, so for the average high end stream streamer, posting a VOD is just not going to do well because the content is very different on YouTube than it is streaming. Uh, so if they consistently, which they do consistently post VODs, you, like you said, train YouTube to know that you're not necessarily going to get a lot of views from these videos. And then it's just going to snowball in the opposite direction for you where they will start delivering it less to people. Um, so you're going to be really careful with the content you produce. If you see that it's not doing better than the last few videos that you've made, you want to reassess and you have to reassess and you have to adapt and you have to change. So adaptability in mm. content creation is the number one thing you need to work on if you want to be in this business and survive because yeah, it's, it's technology at the end of the day and everything is constantly changing. We don't even know that YouTube is just going to be around in the next few years. I'm, and I'm sure it will be, but if it isn't, then I've just lost all of the work that I put in, right? That's just almost gone. So what do I do in that case? I have to adapt. Maybe I, you know, move my audience over to a new platform or I do something else, right? Like there's, that's an extreme but adapting to what the market is, is something you need to really work on. And you'll see a lot of people that explode in popularity on YouTube. You'll notice if you go back to their previous videos, you'll see like crap views, crap views, crap views, crap views, branding change, crap views, crap views. Ah, it's picking up now. Yeah. yeah. You'll see like they've, they've adapted in some way. Like everyone adapts and that's how they grow. So you have to learn to do that. And that might be different yeah. for everyone. 
Uh, that's really true. And, you know, it's – you. And even if you're at the top, you still have to innovate, right? You can't do the same things forever because, you know, the the trends change. And we're we're seeing that right now with our own content on LinkedIn. You know, we're yeah. trying to, you know, I've I've kind of reached a saturation point where my virtual assistant that goes through and will, you know, check out hashtags on on LinkedIn for us will reply to my messages and post our content. She says it's hard for her to engage in other content because hashtag esports and hashtag gaming is dominated by me. So it's like, okay, <laughs> if you've got that, if you've got that scale, you know, talking like our, our last board meeting um, earlier this month, which was, okay, Chris, what do you do? Do you create better quality content? Like I think we're doing the best quality content we can without like a full studio. Do you create more content? We've already figured out that we've reached our exhaustion point with that content. We've had to scale it back a bit. So now we have to look at different ways to innovate. So for us and for anyone who's watching this on LinkedIn live right now is that we're starting to create I hate to say, because everyone calls it Netflix everything, we're creating the phase clan of LinkedIn, really. We're, we're going to be creating, just like every esports or content creation team has, is different people that create different types of content that all feed into one source. So it's me that does the really nerdy business stuff in the podcast. We've got um, Mark Kai coming on board who does a weekly wrap-up this week in esports. Um, we're also going to be uh, installing a female presenter most likely soon to be doing what I would call business light every three days or so talking about some topics that are very light business sense so that people can know that while this is all big branded and we can advertise across all of those, they'll know that you can go to Chris if you want the nerdy hardcore stuff. You can go to this business light presenter if you just want to know about, you know, maybe um, some very basic numbers as to how many PS5s were sold and what that might mean. Or you can go to Mark Kai if you're like, look, I don't have enough time to keep up with things. I just want to see once a week what's all the biggest news. Just feed it to me and start to try to build like that thing because we find that, you know, like I said before, the, the quality of content on LinkedIn is so poor that I think that content creators on LinkedIn is the future. There's basically zero content creators on that platform thus far in any in any platform. There's a great, there's a great Twitter account. It's called the state of LinkedIn. I love to follow it because it's just, it unearths all that crap that you see where people just post those stories. And I've used an example for like, and this is an exact story, but they'll say like, you know, I was at, I was at work and this lady, she turned up late um, and I was going to fire her. But when she turned up, she was soaked and it turned out all three of her kids died in a train accident, but she came oh, to work God, anyway, I hate that stuff. and I gave her a thousand dollar raise and everybody gave me a high five and you know, all this kind of stuff. So the, you know, stories like that on LinkedIn. And the other thing I can't stand is hashtag spamming hashtags mm. within the bodies of the post and then tagging 400 people for thoughts at the end of the article. Like, you know, at Leon Musk, like, what do you think of my post? Like, he's not going to reply. <laughs> they're just hoping they're for that boost. Yeah. They're just yeah. opening for a signal boost basically. And that's just yeah. not going to happen. Yeah. And the other, there's another comment in here that I wanted to highlight too from progressive OFI has been quite active. Obviously one of your viewers quite active in the Twitch chat, um, which is, that's not the right one. It's this one here. So he was talking about like the quality of sponsored videos and stuff as well. So that's a question I want to ask you. So like I said before, we try to make our sponsored content besides the ad, the ad read I did at the start, which was fairly standard, but I tried to resonate a bit with myself and why I like the product. Um, you know, some of the streamers that I love working with, like Badjo Pants, are ones that create custom content around their stuff. He creates it in the same style. He's like Mon he's like watching Monty Python live, but he's able to integrate his sponsors into that. Like, are there are there any innovative ways that you do, you know, include sponsors into what you do besides, I guess you said, actually creating content on the game that you're trying to sell as well? Um, I guess if you, if you in, in terms of how he does it, probably not. I, I, I put my own spin on everything. Uh, for example, I did a I did a thing with um, Skillshare recently, wherein the actual video that was the content was on was about 
a particular point in cyberpunk where you know earning the loyalty of people and you know, relationships with women and so i kind of negotiated that into the skillshare learning skills to get um to get people interested in you and i, I kind of talked about how um developing your own skills gives you confidence gives you the ability to talk to more people gives you something interesting to talk about and i positioned that in a, a way that was related to the content so that's what i try to do i try to make it relevant to what i'm actually talking about at the time um in terms of in terms of making it exciting like making a monty python sketch i haven't done that kind of thing just yet but as you can see i've got the green screen in the background i'm planning on with some of the bigger sponsorships um that i will like do little sketches and do little things like that with them but it really depends on what kind of sponsorship it is and what my audience is willing to put up with and that's a big one because you briefly put it up on the on the screen before but um sometimes people do skip through it and sometimes they do get blind to it so to make it interesting is something um content creators need to do unless um unless their audience is just going to hang off their every word which I don't think anyone has that people pretend like they have that, but I don't think anyone has that. Yeah. Yeah. And some of the great ways that, you know, someone like Badjo, I'll use him an example as well. He's able to do great ad role ad reads with like Corsair is he makes a joke out of himself doing that ad read. Like I remember, I think when we announced our sponsorship with him back in 2018, when I was working there, you know, his whole screen was Corsair logos, except for just his face. And it was just the meme of like, hey, guys, you know, this I'm now sponsored by Corsair. Corsair, go buy them now. Corsair is the best ever. Go buy Corsair. And then, you know, and then he had a skit with himself where he was calling the Corsair and then he was like, you know, correcting himself and, you know, really making a meme out of that. And there was another example. I know Slush Puppy, who I've talked to a bit, who creates a lot of Tarkov content, especially on Twitch. You know, he did a Raid Shadow Legends ad, which is kind of a meme in itself. But, you know, he made a meme about just get that bag, get that money. And he made a meme about, you know, screw you viewers. I don't care about you. I'm getting paid good money. I'm going to buy a Mercedes. And they all ate that up. His viewers loved it. And they all joined in on the joke. They were like, yes, use us, like advertise to us, whatever you want. We'll buy it. I would love to see the numbers on that though. Cause I reckon everyone would have loved it, but I don't think anyone would have actually signed he up. Did, he actually did pretty well. He hit his KPI because they had a, really? that was an interesting KPI for, I don't know if it was that one exactly, or for some other game download ones I've heard of before, where they'll, they'll say, if you achieve over X amount of downloads, then we'll provide you with a bonus. I don't know if it's Raid that does that or others, but I know for him, he hit his KPI for that anyway. So seemed yeah, to nice. pretty well. And he bought, he bought a nice Mercedes not long after. So maybe it was true. Maybe the meme was true. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah. Look, Raid have reached out to me many times. Uh, and every single time I've, not accepted just because it, like I said, if I don't play the game or if I don't know anything about the content or I don't support what I'm talking about, I just will not do it. It just doesn't matter how much money they throw at you and they throw a lot of money at you. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually friends, like, yeah. I know, I know they approached one of my friends with a, with a price and he said no. And then they came back with double <laughs> Then he said, yes, <laughs> like that's, that's the negotiation process. Look, Nuts. anyone, anyone that takes them, get that money, man, get that money. I, I fully support you, but you know, it takes a lot of willpower to say no. I think at that stage, that's what I think. I think that's what they do. That's their whole strategy. It's like, yeah, people don't want to talk about this, but everyone has a price. <laughs> yeah. And there must and be I, some return, right? Like it, it seems like oh, that's yeah. just out of nowhere. But if you look at, I mean, one, one good way to look at how popular an app is just look at how many reviews it has. I think raid shadow legends has something like 500,000, you know, X star reviews on Android alone. 
which is nuts. So how many people take time to actually review a mobile game they use? Probably like less than 5%. So they could have less than 5% of that is 500,000 downloads, which is nuts, absolutely nuts. Yeah, well, they've definitely got the reach. They've definitely got the audience. A lot of people play it. A lot of people play it. I mean, I've never played it. <laughs> Maybe I should yeah. try it. <laughs> Maybe this is the start of a beautiful uh, new sponsorship. Right? <laughs> Right. Throw, throw the up. money at me, man. <laughs> no, we'll no, do no, no. You've already, you've already tried. You have to try something extravagant for me to do. I'll do the first B2B raid sponsorship. We'll do some LinkedIn, <laughs> LinkedIn marketing advertising for them. I'm sure I could find, I'm sure I could do a carousel out of that. If they give me some back end numbers, I would love to see that. I would just be interested in knowing like how it does. Honestly, it'd just be more like a, a, an experiment than anything. And that, I love that stuff. I love diving into the numbers and seeing exactly how something is done. If I, if I, if I post just a video about cyberpunk, but then do nothing about cyberpunk and just make it a raid ad, like a 10 minute long raid ad, I wonder what would happen. If you made it funny enough, people would like it. I think there's like a, I watch a guy a lot on YouTube called Chael Sonnen and I do a lot of my news videos in the same style that he does. So he's a, he's an, uh, he's an MMA fighter who's retired, um, like, like a fairly good one, but he's a whole meme in himself. So th- there's a bunch of memes about him that he's got the biggest biceps in Westland, Oregon. There's a big meme that he's like undefeated, undisputed because one of the greatest of all time fighters, Anderson Silva, he was beating the crap out of him for four and a half rounds, but then got submitted right at the end of the fight. It was stupid. He shouldn't have. So there's all these memes about that too. But yeah, he, he made a video recently basically telling everyone that John Jones, who's another one of the greatest of all time is on steroids without saying he is. And the whole video he's saying like, no, he's definitely not on the source. He's still in the testing pool. And he's like, he's gained 15 pounds of pure muscle and no one, no human on earth has ever done that. But he's the first person to ever do that. And all these other channels are eating it up. But I love it because it's, you know, it's exactly that style of content that, that gamers love. I think it's that, you know, it's that stupid humor. And I think if you yeah, can do yeah. a whole video that's about that, where you're like, hey guys, cyberpunk. And you, maybe you're like, you're playing your raid and you just talk about cyberpunk the whole time. Like, I think people would probably eat that up. <laughs> I did, um, I did a Borderlands preview video where... Yeah. I spent a good, I think, five minutes just talking about a situation in a massive joke that had no relevance to the actual video. And that was yeah. a bit of fun. But people were like, what the hell were you talking about for those five minutes? And some people were like, that was the funniest thing ever. So I've done, I've done things like that before. But like, especially when people come to rely on you for a certain thing, um, it's very hard to, to just put like one joke video up. You know, I'd have to do it consistently. And yeah. it's definitely something I'm looking to do when the game actually releases. Uh, when it releases, I'll do a bit more like long play, long form content. And that will be more humorous than uh, standard news production. Like I like to add my own personality in, in like journalistic kind of videos. Um, but a lot of the time I'm just reading, I'm just reading something off or I'm just talking, right? Like I'll just put the microphone on and talk. I found that if I make it way too produced, uh, my personality doesn't come out. And a lot of the times, like in a lot of my videos, I'll like mispronounce something and I'll just be like, uh, forget that. Forget I said that. Or like I'll, I'll put in like some like innuendo and I hope no one notices and everyone notices. So it's like one of those <laughs> things. <laughs> There's a good comment here as well from Progressive again in the chat. It's from the Diablo 3 meme, which is don't you guys have phones? <laughs> be a good rate, Shadow Legends one as well. Another question for you then is would is um, would you accept a conversion only based sponsorship from a brand? Is that something you've ever considered in the past? So for those people who don't know that sometimes brands don't pay up front, they, they say, um, you know, show, let's use a graphics card example, show off a graphics card and we'll give you $10 for every single graphics card you sell, but we're not going to pay you up front. 
at all. Is, is that something you would ever consider as a content creator? It's something that would need to be very specific. If it's, for example, a graphics card, I would never accept that because one, I would do all this work for essentially free for a lot of cases. For example, like we talked about before, you, you're setting a mind position with something like that. It's a, it's a when they're ready to buy, they'll consider you, right? Like that's what mm-hmm. you're kind of marketing. With a graphics card, it's not an impulse buy, unfortunately. So if it was a product that is an impulse buy, something you can buy online, just click and click and go like a game. Yes, I would. And I did that with Borderlands. Um, if it's a product that is more expensive or would work as a buy later kind of situation, like a my position kind of situation, then absolutely not because they're getting a lot of free work that way. Um, mm. And there's no point. I might as well just do the campaign for free at that point. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And but I, I mean, that's, good. it, it yeah. depends on what they're, what they're, what they're, where they've set the, the range, right? Like if they say, I'll oh, just sell one graphics card and we'll, we'll, we'll pay you for that. I'll be like, yeah, sure. Or they say, just sell this many. Then I'll be like, yeah, sure. It just depends on where they set the brackets. We'd have to have yeah. that conversation. But um, I don't want to turn into a salesman essentially. So I'm trying to <laughs> try not to have those conversations. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. And once again, it's got to be that product market fit, right? Like, and that, and that's where merchandise works so well, especially for people with younger audiences. Cause like you said, it, you know, a $40 t-shirt, a $60 hoodie that can be an impulse buy. And if it's, if it's well-designed, if it's from a reputable company, you know, like say Hypercarry, who we do some work with, you know, they did this 4 million um, drop launch with Fresh Asian, Fortnite content creator, young audience, you know, sold out because it was a logical purchase, you know, Hey, I get to support this guy who's come up real fast. He makes funny content. I watch him a lot. It's only, you know, 40, 50, 60 bucks. Like why not make that purchase and, and go for it. Yeah, for sure. It's, yeah. um, it's very, I guess the, a lot of it is the price, right? Like what the price is will generally determine if it's an impulse buy or not, because you can impulse buy if you're at a shopping center and this is why Coles and Safeway do it. They put like chocolates and or candy bars for Americans on, on the, um, on the checkouts, right? Because they know that, yeah. oh yeah, I might as well just have one of those, right? Like you just impulse buy. You're like, yeah, I deserve, I've, I've been good. I've been, I can be a little naughty, right? That's yeah. generally how it is. That's what an impulse did buy that. is. I did that the other day. I, I tried so hard and I, and I, as I was walking to the self-serve counters, I grabbed a thing of Pringles after like a super hard jujitsu session. It was like 26 degrees. I posted yep. a photo, like even after I towed down, I was just like sweat all over the ground. And then I bought it <laughs> and I was eating it on the way home. I was like, damn, I'm a sucker. Like why? Yeah. all the bucks of Pringles. <laughs> so for those who don't know, um, is it Brazilian jujitsu or? Yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. yeah. For, for those who don't know, you need to have extremely strong wrists for this kind of exercise. And he's just so happened picked up a pan of Pringles, which if you have a wrist at all, you can't get your hand in them. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I got pretty big hands too. It was hard, but I know my girlfriend asked me like, how the hell did you eat half a packet while you were driving a manual car on the way home? And I was like, I'm a wizard. It's just, it's just what I'm, what I'm good at. You know, I'm just picturing you like holding it like this and just going, like leaning your head back. It's like, <laughs> Yeah, I might have had to. Hopefully, Victoria Police aren't watching this stream. <laughs> I, might have, I might have had to do that after a while. It's funny there's rules against, there's like tons of rules against like using even a smartwatch while you're driving, but I don't think there's rules against like eating a Hungry Jack's Whopper while you're driving. Oh, the no. Car, so. <laughs> 100%. You can't, you can't look, you can't even touch your phone if your car is parked and not even, the engine doesn't even have to be on, then you can get in trouble for that, right? Yeah. But you're allowed to eat with both hands. I can, I can eat a McDonald's burger and, and drive with my knees. <laughs> And it's fine. (laughs) I think every Aussie boy has seen their dad do that at least once in their life, at least around our age anyway. I've done it. I'm I'm not going to lie. (laughs) 
I've done. I've been. I've been that hungry before. I'm like this. This whopper needs two hands. <laughs> like oh, I'm dripping right stuff there. everywhere. <laughs> yeah, that's true. They're pretty messy. So what? The other question I had for you that I wish I asked before, because I mean, we plan to go for an hour already. At, we're almost at two, so we should probably wrap this up sometime soon. But um, the, is there ever going to be a crossover between the cafe and the and the content creation business? Or or the other question as well after that is like, what's what's next for you? Like, what do you got your eyes on doing? Is there ever going to be a crossover? No, I don't think so. Um, with my previous partner, with my with my ex, we did a bit of uh, like cooking videos and stuff, and they actually did pretty well. Uh, but it's just not it's not where my interests lie. Like I don't want to I don't want to make content around that. And if I was to make somehow incorporate gaming with with uh, food, uh, I don't know. This this ventures into the whole. ASMR kind of territory, which I just, I just can't take that shit seriously. I'm sorry. (laughs) So like, I don't want to do that either. Uh, And what's next for me. So what's next for me is to just get through the year. That's, that's my immediate goal. I want to grab that that 200 K on pace to get that once the game drops. Um, Hopefully if it doesn't slow down, things don't slow down. I'll, I'll reach that before the end of the year. That's my immediate goal. From that point on, it'll be guides, reviews, um, RPG-related games. Uh, I know Biomutant is is coming up soon as well, uh, as well as some other games. I'll be focusing on that, and I'll be start I'll start transitioning into doing some like personality-based content as well, where I make like playthroughs and stuff, which is the content you can't make when you're a smaller channel unfortunately mm. it just doesn't get promoted very well like a lot of people try to start with that content where i'm going to start leading into that incorporating that in, into that with my um with my news and guides and stuff like that so we'll see how that goes um but other than that just yeah just keep growing keep doing what i like doing talking about games that i like i really i really just want to keep this as as much effort as i put into this i still want to keep it like a fun thing that i enjoy doing um I tell everyone that asks me, but this is the most, this job is the most amount of work I've ever had to do. And I've worked in advertising before where it's, you know, I'd get in at seven o'clock in the morning and on my birthday, I would leave at 10 o'clock at night and my boss would tell me you're leaving early, even though my contract says 5 PM and it's my birthday. Um, So I've worked in those environments, but still, I've never worked as hard as I, as I ever have in anything but content creation. It's just, it's, there's a crazy amount of work that goes into it. If you want to do well, if you want to succeed. And I feel like at least some of that effort is translating into results as, I mean, you type in cyberpunk on YouTube and I'll be the first that appears there. And I've gotten Mm. the most, I think I'm literally the highest views a month now for cyberpunk content out of any channel, including IGN and all those bigger channels as well. So, um, yeah, so that's where I'm sitting and I'm just going to arrive that wave for now, I think. Yeah. Sounds like a plan. And I guess the, obviously the most important thing coming up is an upcoming NVIDIA advertisement that we're doing together, right? It's what you're basing your whole life around. Oh, for (laughs) sure, man. I actually, I'm actually really like the card is so good. Like, I can't wait to talk about it more. Um, I can't wait to play it, uh, Cyberpunk, with this uh, 3080. It's just amazing. So for those who don't know, I've already talked about uh, Galax on my stream 
when we um we we talked about cyberpunk but it's mm. uh it's a card they sent me and they gave me absolutely no obligations they just said here here's your card here's your 3080 you can talk about it if you want if you want you can go through our virtual tour and i was like you know what i'll just i'll just do a stream and talk about it and post about it because mm. it's really nice of them um so i did and it's a really good it's a really good card um, and it's really cheap too. I can't believe that th- the 30 series is so cheap comparatively to what the 2080 Ti's are still sitting at. If you want to yeah. buy a 2080 Ti, it's, it's almost the same price as the 3080. Yeah, it's pretty nuts, huh? Yeah. At half at half the power. Yeah, yeah. That's that's the big thing too, right? Like I remember, especially going from the 9 series to the 10 series, that was one of the big parts as well. It's like, what do you mean? I get more power and... It, it takes half the amount of, you know, power supply draw to, to get there. Like, yeah. And they're only just getting better from there. Like, I guess it's like we were saying before, right? When I was talking a while ago about how I had like a, you know, Pentium 66 megahertz overclock to 100 or whatever to play Red Alert 2. I can't remember the last time I thought about, is my computer fast enough to play a video game these days? Yeah. Either. Yeah. It's not even a consideration anymore. Well, I guess, yeah. I, I mean, we might be in the small sample rate of people that can afford decent PCs. Um, there are a lot of people that struggle and they buy consoles because they can't afford gaming PCs and the PCs that they do have are very low end. I, I understand that. And there's a few fans that I recently gave away my 2080 super to, um, a fan that was actually in, in Australia. Uh, he ended up being in Australia, but I did a big competition about it and gave it away. And he was, what was he running? It was, I think it was still in the nine series, honestly. And he wouldn't have been able to run even like the low settings on cyberpunk. Mm. Mm. So when you think about that, when you think about people like that, yeah. And I guess the other thing too, is that even, even if you have an old computer, there are games you can play like Dota 2, CSGO, yeah. League of Legends that are all quite optimized for like a low quality PC because they're played so much in those lower socioeconomic countries like the Philippines and things like that. Yeah. You know? Look at, um, look at Starcraft 2. I recently watched a tournament and it showed the perspective of the pros and it goes from this beautiful game to their perspective where all of the graphics are cut away. It's just yeah. like, there's no environment. There's no shaders. There's nothing. It's just like, just the objects. And you're like, how yeah. they play on this. And it's like, yeah, because that is the best way to play. Hey, if you you're playing it easier, t- right? Yeah. I remember that. You know, we were talking about that with like, um, I don't know, maybe when like the seven series went out or something, we were playing like Counter-Strike Source and people were all talking about the new graphics card on the Counter-Strike forums. And then they're like, well, we just use extensive configs to make everything look like Lego land anyway. So who cares? <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly right. It's, it's in, If you're in that tournament, if you want to be competitive, it's actually better to have those lower settings on, right? So in Dota as well, it's, it's, a, it's a big thing because a lot of times the ambient effects do get in the way. I, yeah, I, know I that- can't. I can't actually see anything properly in Dota 2 when I have all the graphics gone now because you're used to you're used to not having them. Like when you watch a tournament, all the graphics are on. I go, what? Like it looks entirely different. Not not to mention that damn what was it TI eight or whatever it was the international in 2018 when they decided to use that map where everything was like rivers and waters that made things yep. really hard to see. But um, thankfully yeah, well, they fixed that after a couple of days. I think they're still well. This TI that recently got cancelled. Um, was gonna let them you know bring their own skins, let let them color the rivers, do all that stuff. Like all of those cosmetics were going to be in the game in a mm. tournament setting, which, which, which begs the question. It's like, when does it become too much? Like there's a character called Invoker. And I think he's one of the only characters that gets a full body skin that fundamentally changes his character model. He goes from mm. a, an adult to a child and that makes his model quite a bit smaller. And you mm. have to wonder, does that change how he plays in a way for a lot of people? Cause 
you know, he's not as easily recognizable at a glance. Maybe he, you lose him in the pack. So in those cases, yeah, cut away the graphics and just make it flat based where it is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's really true. Yeah. There was some other ones as well, where it makes certain heroes look like other ones and there's certain abilities that it changes with like a special arcana skin and stuff that makes abilities maybe look like different or not like what they are at all. Or some yep. maps where Alchemist puts his little AOE dot on the ground, which is like poison and you can't see it very well on a dark green map because it's also green. You're right. Because yep. if you compare that to CSGO, you don't change much. It's different gloves and it's different stickers on a gun and a different color yep. on a gun. But besides that, you've got pretty much the same models. But yep. yeah, in a game like Fortnite or CSGO, I mean, a Fortnite or Dota 2, it could change things entirely as to what yeah. kind of, you know, if you're wearing a big banana costume in Fortnite, like you could probably be seen much easier than if you're just doing the loser fruit skin, which is quite, you know, reserved in nature compared to it. Yeah. So for those who don't know, uh, Dota 2 is probably one of the biggest esport tournaments ever, right? There's people yeah. walk away from highest that. Prize pool. Yeah, the highest prize pool by far. Um, people walk away from that millionaires after after winning and even coming second, they walk away millionaires. It is Craig, what was the what was the grand prize for last year? It was like it was like 30, 34.6 million, I think, last year. Yeah, USD. 30, 34.6 million USD first place. That is absolutely crazy yeah. to think about well, considering total, total prize pool. First place, I think, was eleven or twelve or something like that. So you get yeah. about two million bucks each if you win. <laughs> yeah. Which is absolutely yeah. nuts. I think it was it's more than that this year, but obviously this year didn't happen because of COVID. It was going yeah. to be, speaking of not getting a break for three years. It was going to be my first holiday, actual holiday in a while, going and seeing the international this year. I had oh, a hotel booked with my, one of my mates. Um, we were going to we Stockholm. We we're going to spend 10 days there, go see the international, chill, relax. But unfortunately, it didn't happen. Um, Qantas gave me a credit back, didn't give me my money back. Wow. Well, um, I booked the hotel through them as well. So that was an absolute pain in the ass. I had to... Um, I had to really fight to get my money back for that. And I never ended up getting it. It was just a credit. So yeah, if you like holidays, <laughs> that's something I haven't had in a while. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Well, that, I guess that'll be a personal point of interest for you. So I've had um, David God's Parker on the podcast before famous commentator. Um, I had PPD who won the Dota Twin national a few years ago. He's retired now. I had loader on as well. He's also a previous TI winner. Right. And as a Dota two fan as well, myself, I'm trying to get them all to come back on together to talk about how they would fix the Dota two pro circuit and what they would mm. do with uh, because they've all got similar opinions. I've also talked to the Team Nigma CEO as well. You know, ex um, ex Team Liquid, yep. now in you know in in Mena M E N A region. So yeah, I want to bring some of these guys on together to talk about their thoughts on that. So yeah, I'll, get puppy I'll, in the oldest yeah. one there, <laughs> the OG. I'll, I'll let him grow out his uh, his dog hair first before he you know, grow out his mane. I guess that's what you could you could say as as he had back in the two thousands. Yeah. 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 So if um, if people want to follow you online who are watching, where can they do so? And also there's a bunch of different, you know, agencies and brands and stuff that, that watch this as well. So if someone wants to get in contact with you for business purposes also, where's the best place to do so? So for business purposes, I've just got an email address. So it's the best place to contact me and you can find that email address and all my socials as well. It's just dantixofficial at gmail.com. All my socials are just dantixofficial. So Twitter and Instagram are just Dantix official. My YouTube channel is just slash Dantix. Quite simple. 
Um, and you can find kind of everything, all the links and stuff on those. So that's the best place to best place to reach me. Or you can jump on my Discord, which is also linked in all of those socials, and you can talk to me directly there. And that's how we've been talking, Chris, as well through Discord. So yeah. All right, fantastic, man. Well, thanks for coming on. You know, we did plan to do an hour, and we've just done over two. So I think this is probably, I think this is the longest big esports podcast I've ever done in about three years. So it means it was a good chat. Was it, it was either a good chat, or I'm a gas bag and can't stop talking, or talk too slowly, or something like that. <laughs> thanks, man. <laughs> we'll wrap Great. it up all into one. It was perfectly, it was perfectly fine. But yeah, we'll have to have you on again. It was, it was a good talk, and it's, it's, you know, and. I'm personally enjoying, I guess, this change in content that we're doing here as well, like with the Big Esports Podcast. I know that you and I talked about this a little bit before, but and I've talked about this before on LinkedIn, but for everyone, the real synopsis is I was just sick of talking about the same stuff all the time. I was always talking to pretty much every single topic turned into sales in esports and turned about esports versus gaming. And once you've talked about that 10 times, no matter how good the guests are, you just get bored. So it's yeah. good to have on some other people that you know talk about some different topics finally. Yeah, I mean, we talked about driving with your knees as well during one point, so a little bit of a mix-up of content there. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Well, thanks for coming on again, man, and we'll, we'll do this again me. in the next six to 12 months. And thank you to everyone who's tuning in, whether you're listening live now on Twitch, on LinkedIn Live, whether you're watching back later on YouTube or listening on the audio-only version of the podcast. Once again, this episode was sponsored by StreamCoi, that's streamcoi.com, which is a fantastic way to manage. If you're managing multiple streamers, trying to manage their branding throughout campaigns as well as tracking, it can be extremely hard. These guys have a good solution. I'm actually going to be using it as well. I think it's important. That's why I let them advertise with us. Thanks for listening, everyone. In the next couple of weeks, we've got a few other interesting people coming on board. We've got another YouTuber who makes ARC-based content with over 700,000 subscribers. We've also got one of the executives of Team Australis coming on, which is an esports team in CSGO that basically won every single tournament for about a year. They're extremely dominant. So I'm going to be interested to talk to him about performance versus business, as well as their IPO, um, public listing, and some other cool stuff that they tried to do in that space. Once again, guys, thanks for listening. If you're listening to this live, um, make sure to uh, like make sure you join in the comments we're always putting more questions in now we never have really done that much before chuck us a follow as well as you're watching on youtube please like and comment exactly what we talked about how you can support dantix you can support us too and send this to a mate if you find it interesting you think that someone could enjoy this content please send it along to them with some thoughts we'd really appreciate that as well thanks for listening guys bye for now